have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you. By giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit, you'll get four weeks of food per person with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. So it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast. So don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per 50 cents. No, not 50 cents. $50 per kit. If you act now, now you can go to prepare with southernsense.com or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left hand corner, click on prepare, go to southern sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't wait, do it today. 
and welcome back to another adventure here. You're listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, iHeartRadio, and half a dozen other places, including Global Enlightenment Radio. I'm your hostess with the most, the radio chick, Annie, along with my debonair and intellectual co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, com, and click on the links to join us watching the live video, or you can continue to listen to the audio here on Blog Talk Radio. So good afternoon, Curtis. So far... Knocking on wood, no problem. Great. <laughs> Great. And we still have sunny skies here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we so got a gorgeous day out here in South Carolina, too. Nice and sunny, nice and warm. Holy moly. I, I have to admit, my house has been upside down now for the last two months. I've been doing a lot of work, putting in the Generac uh, generator for the whole house power when I lose power in a storm, having a propane tank dumped into the ground to run the generator, and then I bought a gas stove, so I have a beautiful monster of a gas stove in my kitchen, as well as to the barbecue grill, which I'm getting a new one tomorrow, had the back deck completely rebuilt from a little 5 by 6 deck to something that's 12 by 20 feet. You can have a hoedown on this dang thing. They just finished ripping up the handicap ramp from my mom in front and the decking there. They've got it almost done with the new one put in. It really looks sleek. It really looks very, very nice. And then they're going to turn my back porch, which is 10 by 40, from a screened-in porch to a Carolina sunroom. Going to winterize it so I can use it 24-7 no matter what's going on outside. Um, oh, in. Had new roof done. New roof done. Had the leaf, the uh, seamed gutters put in so I can't get the leaves down the gutters because I didn't have gutters before. Uh, had the new fascia placed on the house because it was being eaten by um, carpenter uh, bees. And then I had um, the T111 around underneath all the windows that was starting to rot. All that replaced. And coming up this month, somewhere along this month, uh, I'm having all new windows and sliding glass doors put in. Whew. Honey, if I have any money left in the bank, I'm going to be very lucky at the end of the, the year. Well, Ooh. we have to get uh, up there and, and see the results. Yeah, when yeah, you and Carolyn have to come by and, and pay a visit and chat yeah. with Mom, too. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. anyway. Well, we will. Anyway, we've got ourselves a great lineup. And actually, I just got a tickle on my nose. So pardon me. <laughs> I can't believe this. It's like a piece of cat fur, I think, just went up my nose. <laughs> Anyway, um, we've got a great lineup of guests here. Uh, we have Katie Arrington, who's running against Nancy Mace in my district right here in South Carolina, District 1. We had uh, Mark Sanford originally represented us, uh, and then it was Beer Can Joe Cunningham, and then now Nancy Mace. So uh, we now have uh, about five people running against Nancy Mace in the primary, and Katie Arrington is in the lead uh, against all the other candidates. Uh, Cecily Davis is coming back. She's challenging Ilyan Omar in Minnesota. I believe that's District 5. Ah, I didn't, I didn't write down. Ah, that's dumb of me. Uh, we have our friend from the Epic Times, Mark Tapscott, coming in. And we have Dr. Day... I'm not going to pronounce his name correctly. Let me get my little notes out here. Uh, Dea Ratna, Dea Ratna, Dea Ratna, 
Dr. Kevin DeArotna with the Heritage Foundation. That's and so cool. We're going to be banned. We're going to be banned because we're going to discuss the truth about COVID. <laughs> so watch how many places are going to kick us off. <laughs> so like I said, we've got ourselves uh, a, a great, great show on today. And I want to welcome everyone that is over in our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, also, those that are listening now over at Facebook and YouTube. So uh, feel free to post in the rooms. I'll try to keep an eye on everything here, even though that means me spitting around like a nut. And I got a new chair. I have a new chair. And I actually can sit with my back not killing me. So, yeah, I got to get one myself. The one I, I have now, I bought it like two years ago, and now just about every time I sit in it, it likes to sink. <laughs> And I have to get it back up to where I like it. Oh, well, that's the problem. I could. The other one was a really beautiful chair, um, and unfortunately, I, I found it very, very difficult to um, adjust. So, and I'm trying to write in the chat room, and uh, oh, it's not working out too well. But we're trying. Here we go. All right. Um, those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's show is going to go out to Corporal Charles Galloway of Harris County Constable's Office, Precinct Number 5 in Texas. His end of watch was Sunday, January 23rd of this year. And this is from Channel 11, KHOU. And it reads, Condolences for a Harris County Precinct 5 corporal shot and killed during Sunday morning traffic stop had started pouring in online. Corporal Charles Galloway was with the department for 12 and a half years and most recently served as a field training officer before being gunned down during a traffic stop in the 9100 block of Beechnut at approximately 12.45 a.m. Galloway was conducting a routine traffic stop when the suspect got out of his vehicle and fired upon the deputy multiple times before driving off, Houston Police Department Chief Troy Finner said. Message to the suspect. The best thing you can do is turn yourself in peacefully, Finner said. Harris County Precinct 5 Constable Ted Heap said it appears Galloway didn't even have time to respond or defend himself, and that these incidences are happening too regularly and need to stop. We have to put an end to this, Heath said. I don't want to raise my family, my grandchildren, in a county where this type of crime is running rampant. Condolences have started pouring in from officials from all over southeast Texas. Prayers for the family of the Harris County Precinct 5 deputy killed on duty tonight, Houston Fire Chief Sam Pena wrote. Our condolences to them, Constable Heap and the entire Precinct 5 Constable's Office. Harris Judge Lena Heldago tweeted, Heartbroken at the senseless murder of Harris County Precinct 5 Corporal Galloway while he was on duty. I ask that Harris County residents join me in expressing condolences to his family. 
Constable Heap, and all law enforcement officers. We will not rest until we find the suspect, she wrote. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick issued a statement saying, Harris County Precinct 5 Corporal Charles Galloway was murdered at a traffic stop early this morning. He was gunned down before even getting out of the car or pulling his weapon. The continued violence against law enforcement must end, and respect for law enforcement must be restored if we are going to live in a civil society. Please join Jan and me in prayers for the family. Texas DPS officials with the Southeast region also added, We offer our prayers and condolences to Deputy Charles Galloway's family, his brothers and sisters in blue, and all of those who cared for and loved him. Additional tweets and postings from the Houston Mayor's Office. Today we mourn with HC Precinct 5 as Corporal Charles Galloway was shot and killed during an overnight traffic stop. This is from Chief Samuel Pena. Prayers for the family of HC Precinct 5 deputy killed on duty tonight. Our condolences for them. Constable Heap and the entire Precinct 5 Constable Office. The violence against public safety cannot be tolerated. Not holding criminals accountable will continue to have grave consequences, he wrote. From the Texas DPS, we offer our prayers and condolences to Deputy Charles Galloway's family, his brothers and sisters in blue, and all of those who cared for and loved him. Rest in peace. From Chief Deputy Edson Takea, our thoughts and prayers go out to Constable Heap and the entire Harris County Precinct 5 family in their tragic loss. A senseless attack on a true hero who took the oath to keep his community safe. From HCFMO, our hearts are heavy with the tragic loss of Corporal Charles Galloway. Thank you for your service, Corporal. We can't imagine the pain your family and your brothers and sisters of blue are feeling. Rest in peace. We have it from here. From the Harris County DA's office, The Harris County DA's office mourns the loss of Corporal Charles Galloway. Cool Galloway devoted 12 years to public safety in Precinct 5 before his life was brutally taken early this morning. Ed Gonzalez, heartbreaking. May he rest in peace. For Mark Herman, Harris County Constable Precinct 4, our thoughts and prayers go out to Constable Ted Heap, and to the men and women of Precinct 5 Constable's Office in the senseless loss of one of their finest this morning during a traffic stop. We will continue to pray for Precinct 5 and the family of the fallen deputy. And this is from Senator Ted Cruz. Heidi and I are praying for the family and loved ones of Corporal Charles Galloway as he was tragically murdered while conducting a traffic stop. Thank you to every officer who puts on the badge and bravely serves our community. And finally, from, this is from Fox News by Danielle Wallace. 
the funeral for a Texas corporal shot and killed allegedly by an illegal immigrant during a Houston traffic stop included remarks from the leader of the department who slammed what he described as a broken judicial system for coddling criminals and allowing violent offenders to return to the streets. Harris County Corporal Charles Galloway was shot in the head while conducting a traffic stop on January 23rd in Houston. Body and dash cam footage showed he was killed while still in the front seat of his patrol vehicle after the suspect hopped out of his car, fired a rifle into the corporal's windshield, and then fled. We cannot continue to serve successfully the community we love when there is this blatant disregard for authority because it doesn't fit a particular narrative. Harris County Constable Precinct 5 Ted Heap said, at the funeral for Galloway, who was survived by an 11-year-old daughter. This comes after three Houston police officers were shot the week before in a separate incident by a defendant with at least nine prior felonies and who was wanted for aggravated robbery. Houston witnessed 74 officers killed last year through violence and on a pace to surpass that this year. Those in authority who are coddling the criminals and enabling this behavior have culpability, just as those who are pulling the trigger, Heap said, speaking on behalf of the Galloway family. Those who are in power, those who are making decisions, those who are setting policy, those who are elected, those who are appointed, I ask you to do one thing, and that is to have the courage that Chuck had. Have the courage to do what's right. Have the courage to make decisions that protect the innocent. Have the courage to pass laws and then govern within those laws. Have the courage to stand up against those who would destroy our state, our county, our city, and our communities that we live in. We cannot continue to do our jobs effectively when the rest of the judicial system is broken. This three-legged stool is standing on one and a half legs, he continued. When we have governments that are funding three times as many public defenders as they are assistant district attorneys, when we have magistrates and judges who are issued minuscule bonds to recidivists so that they're back on the street, so that you have to deal with it the next day, and the people we serve have to live in fear. People need to be held accountable because enough is enough. This is a fight between good and evil, and we will not let evil prevail. The suspect, Oscar Jose Rosales, was apprehended in Mexico and transported back to the U.S. for the capital murder of Harris County, Texas, Corporal Charles Galloway. During the Houston funeral, a pastor declared that we are living in a day and age, quote, where it seems like war has been waged against the watchmen. He referred to the January 21 shooting in Harlem that left NYPD officers Jason Rivera and Wilbert Mora fatally wounded. Oscar, Jose Oscar Rosales, a 50-year-old citizen of El Salvador, was arrested 
in Ciudad de Acuna, Mexico, for the murder of Galloway. He has been transported back to Texas and is held without bail. The U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, confirmed that he had previously entered the U.S. illegally. Rosales was a professional criminal who has changed his identity multiple times since he was charged with capital murder in El Salvador in 1996. His common-law wife of 16 years, Rihanna Marquez, and her brother, Enre Marquez, were both arrested in Houston and charged with tampering with evidence. During a court appearance the same day as Galloway's funeral, a judge increased the bail for Rihanna to a quarter million dollars, up from the initial 100000 set. Today's show is dedicated to Corporal Galloway. It is also dedicated to all of the brave men and women that serve out there as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to all of the brave men and women that serve in the other services, such as Homeland Security, in ICE, and other agencies that are law enforcement agencies. It is also dedicated to those who serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to all of them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
present live on Blog Talk Radio SHR Media's Lone Star Daily's iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all that halfway. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle of com. Of course, you know I am the hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, the prodigious author, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Well, so far, so good, Curtis. And I'm loving it. I am. As much as I enjoyed being down uh, in Orlando last week, um, part of um, CPAC and what was going on down there. And I loved that speech. I don't know if you got to hear it, but uh, both Ron DeSantis of Florida and President Donald Trump. Ah, Now, I I didn't catch the Trump one. I'm going to have to go back and play it. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm waiting for our first guest to call in, Katie Arrington, um, who hopefully should be in very shortly. Uh, she's running, uh, she is actually the lead runner against Nancy Mace here, and uh, we got a lot to talk to her about. Matter of fact, um, her, her, uh, her right-hand person never got back to me yesterday when I left a message for him, so I'm wondering if he even got the information. So, Curtis, take over for a second while I try to send out this text. Just bear with me as I do this. Oh, most certainly. Well, back to CPAC. Um, As you know, Ron DeSantis is hated by the left um, because of his stances, and and we love it here. Um, We have a lot of freedoms. They're not tied down to all these mandates um, surrounding COVID. And we are enjoying um, um, visitation from all over the world. Of course, most people understand that uh, Orlando is the um, main attraction, uh, the vacation capital of the world. So business seems to be booming down there. And not only that, we... You don't have to walk around wearing a mask unless you want to. And there there are still a few people who feel, you know, they can't get through their day without having that mask on, whether they're in the home or out in public. They have to have that mask on. But like I said, we have choices. We have options. We, we have freedom here. Unlike um, other cities, basically Democrat-run cities and states, where everything is a mandate or order or regulation. So, well, well, actually, we're going to be discussing all this at the very end with our Heritage Foundation guest, uh, Dr. Dayan Ratna. Dayan Ratna. I'm going to get that name right. I'm going to have to work on that one. <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> Dr. <trying>. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Kevin Dayer right now, uh, because he has an interesting report that Heritage came out with that he's one of the authors on uh, back on February 24th. And all this, all that you were talking about, is part of that report. And if you notice, mm-hmm. you see a lot of these uh, blue states are starting to open up. They're starting to follow the examples of those of us in the red states. And uh, this is funny because just the other day I was in Walmart, or as I call it, Wally World, and I'm going through the vegetable section, uh, trying to get some fresh fruits and vegetables. And this older gentleman, I shouldn't say older, but he's not much older than me, but an uh, older gentleman, um, stopped me. He goes, may I ask you a question? I'm like, 
well, I definitely don't look like I'm a Walmart employee, <laughs> not the way I was dressed. And I said, okay, sure. And why out of all people he picks me? And there's people all around him. I'm closer than I was. You had the <laughs> so, answer. Well, he goes, you know, what's, what's the status with vaccines and masks here in South Carolina? And he explained that there's, they're visiting for a month, and they've been waiting two years to come down for this vacation visit. Uh, and he was a, a Vietnam vet, an Army vet, uh, and he was with a younger couple, which I, I assumed was probably his son and, and daughter or whatever. Um, so he, he's asking me this, and I said, boy, did you ask the right per- person? I said, South Carolina is an open state. He goes, well, I noticed. I only see very, very few people walking around with masks. South Carolina is an open state. He goes, I love it. And he got to talking, and I says, you know, not only you asked the right per- person, you know, I run the Tea Party here in the county, as well as, you know, hosting a conservative podcast. So you asked the right person the question. But I, oh, everyone yeah, else you. that was standing around him, he chose me. I don't know why. He knew he you had something the about the way I was standing and looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's no. effervescent, that's it. Effervescent. Conservatism yeah. <laughs> all over you. No man, and, and you it's, smile a lot. You, you smile a lot. A lot of a lot of liberals look angry. Mm, they don't look happy. Mm-hmm. They look grumpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm just waiting for for Katie. I I saw her Saturday, just this past Saturday. Um, I was at a luncheon and she was one of the people attending, and so mm-hmm. I, I went over to chat for her, with her for a little bit. And she knows me, so. Um, she goes, well, let me check the calendar. So she, I know she has it on her phone. So her aide should be tapping her on the shoulder going, uh, you've got to make a phone call here. So I, she showed me it was on her calendar. I says, I'm somebody. I'm in someone's phone. I'm on their calendar. <laughs> well, it made me feel special. This um, may be her. Okay, it probably is. So let's welcome back onto the show, and I she she knows she knows she's getting my my vote, even though I can't officially endorse anyone because of the Tea Party, but as a person <laughs> hosting this show, Katie knows she's got my vote, right? Katie, how are you today? Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love that. Thank you very much. What an honor. Yes. What a privilege. Well, no, I, I I was telling my audience just now that I saw you on Saturday, and we chatted a little bit, and you showed that you had me on your calendar. I says, I'm somebody. I'm in someone's phone. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, every vote, every person in my district is a somebody. That's, you know, there's, everybody's a somebody. It's just you've got to figure out how much time you can give to every somebody to make sure they're, you know, but yeah, no, that's. That's my goal, to represent the district and everybody in it. So how are you today? I am doing fine. Fortunately, we haven't had a lot of glitches in the show today, so I'm knocking on wood and hoping that nothing bad happens. Because <laughs> anything that can go wrong usually does go wrong with me. But, you know, so people understand Listen, a little bit. I just going to say, not today, not today, Satan, not today. Just not today, <laughs> Satan. That's every time I get in my car now, not Satan, not today. Well, we got to explain that because when you were running the first time, uh, you were up against uh, Mark Sanford, and it was a field that included Nancy Mace. Uh, and 
you were heading down to Beaufort County to meet a bunch of us, and you were in a horrific head-on collision. It was at one point, it was, you know, whether or not you were going to make it out of there. The other driver did not survive the accident, and he ended up proving to be legally intoxicated. And, oh, my goodness, and you came down to the Beaufort County GOP uh, right after you got out of the hospital in a wheelchair, and you were still trying to yeah. campaign. God bless your heart. But, like, I, I can understand when you say, not today, Satan, not today every time you get in the car. I mean, that was that was awful. Yeah, it just, so, the you know, I won the primary and was elated. And that drive, you know, I was talking to uh, my best friend who was driving um, and reading the congressional record from Joe Wilson, who just congratulated me on beating Mark Sanford. And I looked up. And there were headlights, and uh, Miss, the lady that hit me, um, you know, rest her soul. Um, I wish no ill upon her or her family. She didn't mean to do it, but my gosh, it it derailed my entire campaign. Um, I was on life support, um, not to be graphic, but I bled out um, and coded on the way to the hospital. They revived me, put me on life support, had you know um, the the seatbelt. Because I'm four feet eleven inches and 105 pounds, um, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize the front seat was not designed for me. Um, I'm I should be a back seat seater. <laughs> um, the airbag protected my upper body, but my lower body, the inertia, the seatbelt literally cut me in half and blew out my spine and broke both my legs and uh, severed an artery and lost the. Some of my colon, small intestine, large. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. So I, I didn't really recover in 2018. You know, I, I, as much as I tried, and when I went down to talk to everybody down south, I mean, it's just, it, to be in an accident like that and try and hit the campaign trail four weeks later, it was, it, it, I was underwater. And, I, you know, no choice. You can't drop out. So I fought it to the end. The Democrats outraised us. I mean, Nancy Pelosi jumped on that, like, you know, just unbelievably fast and was out, spent outraised three to one, um, but only lost by just over a, a, a couple of thousand votes um, narrowly. And, um, you know, then uh, went to work in the Pentagon, um, Chief Information Security Officer for the DOD, uh, was blessed and honored to work on the team that um, we, we were in charge of the um, – I. My job as the Chief Information Security Officer is to be over the cybersecurity for weapon systems and critical infrastructure and the industrial base. But when the pandemic hit, I was honored and blessed to work with the team um, on the, the COVID supply chain and, and Operation Warp Speed. And, I, you know, God had a plan. Um, if I hadn't had the accident, um, I would have won Congress, um, and I wouldn't have been as effective as I have been. So. Thank you, God, and not today, Satan, um, you know, where I am. <laughs> well, you know, even even in your job at the DOD, the swamp tried to get you. And you oh, ended yeah. up, they, they, they tried really hard because you were a Trump, you know, appointee. And um, you, you beat them out. In the end, you won, and you won through the court. Yep. Um, so the first day, you know, I, I really am disappointed that the Department of Defense that I know and love is not the Department of Defense that we have today. Um, I was saddened um, and discouraged. Um, you know, and I come from a military family. My, I was a military wife for 16 years. I'm a military mom. My dad was in the CIA. Um, 
you know, my great, both grandfathers served and both great grandfathers served. Um, so I'm, I am a, a DOD federally serviced, you know, it's intrinsic to serve. And what the Department of Defense is turning into is just that. Um, but, but this is how the, you know, I was an SES, um, a senior executive service member, a civilian. I took an oath to defend the Constitution. Um, and the first day my new boss came in, he introduced himself as the first openly gay Latino Indigenous Deputy Assistant Secretary, and which is fine. I don't really care. I wanted to know what his qualifications were to be over the industrial base. And, you know, his only criteria was in gross speech for Barack Obama. And that's <laughs> what this administration is letting in. But the words that really shattered my soul was he looked at me in dead seriously and said, why are you here? I thought we fired all you people. The party of inclusion referred to me as you people. Um, and, you know, the, the Biden administration, the deep state, did not want a Republican, especially a Trump Republican. Uh, leading the national cyber revolution that was happening. Um, so they jumped up charges against me, which ultimately were dropped. I won my law. I had to sue them to actually do anything and won my lawsuit, dropped my charges. And then after that, they dissolved my position so I couldn't co- they, to come back. So they, they dissolved the position. So if I was to come back, I wouldn't come back as a chief information security officer. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to run for Congress and fix this from the inside. Well, you also had a little nice announcement last month. Someone endorsed you, which really changed the poll numbers. Now, Nancy Mays claimed that she was running ahead, but all of a sudden, that wasn't exactly true, was it? No, no. So President Trump, um, and, you know, he endorsed me. I I actually announced on Tuesday. um, I was cooking dinner for my grandkids on Wednesday night, and my phone started going crazy. And I, you know, I, I burned my chicken uh, looking at the phone, and Trump had endorsed me. I, it's just like I laugh every time because he catches me off guard every single time. But, you know, people think that, you know, why Trump endorsed me is, you know, because of, you know, Nancy Mace and his disdain for Nancy Mace. Now, that's not it. Trump was with me during the pandemic and, you know, what I did, and he saw that I was a fighter that I cared about my, my country, I cared about the people in it, and whatever it took to, you know, to make sure that, you know, we were able as a team to provide our nation, you know, the supplies that they needed, the medical care that they needed, the, the pharmaceuticals that they needed. As a team, he saw I was a fighter and a leader within that team, and that's why he endorsed me. Um, you know, Nancy Mace is, uh, you know, the, the current congresswoman, um, she doesn't prioritize, nor does she lead. Um, here in the 1st Congressional District, you know, her priority is about legalizing and decriminalizing marijuana. Uh, the priority of, you know, making sure baby pandas don't go back to China. Um, and, you know, making sure that she's got Carol Baskins out to Monkey Island. Those aren't the priorities of this district. Our priorities right now, um, you know, inflation, number one priority, because people can't afford the crazy cost of gas and food, and if there is food, the, the, the choices that we have are so drastically reduced. And I, I hearken everybody to, you know, go back and think about pandemic, right? Aside from toilet paper, but when you went to the grocery <laughs> store, you had everything there, and that was a team of us that were working to ensure that, you know, we, we, we worked as a team. 
And I was proud to be the leader of the team, right? That, you know, the great, you know, we got that done. But we did it because we owed it to the American public. We owed it to our constituents that, you know, we were there to serve. And and I just have to say that the current representation doesn't prioritize the needs of this district. Um, more, you know, she certified the election. I was just on the phone with a, a contractor friend of mine, um, you know, venting his frustrations that Congress, you know, has no problem with, you know, shutting down government for 30 days while they argue over money and budget. And, you know, who's, who's more important? And in the Obama administration, they had no problem shutting down the federal government and failing all federal employees to the 20% pay cut while we argue. Why couldn't Nancy Mace not vote to certify the election and send it back to the state to do a true in-depth audit of the election? Thing one. Thing two, her first speech on the floor of the House of Representatives which is a sacred moment in anybody's life. When you walk into, you know, when I walked into the Pentagon, I was crying. I was so proud to serve. But to be on the house of the, of the U.S. floor of representatives and to make a speech condemning President Trump for the, act, for the event on January 6th, saying that it desecrated his entire administration and that he was solely responsible and that she was there to be the face of the new Republican Party. That's not what we sent you up to Washington to do. We sent you up there not to be the face of the Republican Party, but to be a conservative with a backbone, to stand up, link arms with other Republicans, and hold the ground, hold the line. And, and she, is, you know, she is misguided in what she thinks are the priorities of this district. I'm not. I'm a servant leader. Um, I, I don't want to serve any more than four terms, uh, eight years, and, and that's if you have me and hold my feet to the fire every two years on both. I don't believe in career politicians, so I'm denying congressional retirement and health care benefits because the U.S. taxpayer, you know, we didn't, our founding fathers didn't create the positions to be politicians. We are there to be servant leaders. And I'm only taking enough money out of the congressional salary to offset uh, living expenses in D.C., and I, I lived there while I was in the Department of Defense, um, had an apartment, and flew home every weekend on my own dime. I know how much it costs. Um, you know, I'm not looking to live in elaborate conditions. Uh, you know, I would love to share an a, a apartment with another congresswoman um, and really be effective on cutting costs, but I'm donating the rest of that money to charity because this is not about me, but this the, the we, and Ms. Mace has gone up there to try and make a media, um, a, a brand for herself, um, not focusing on the priorities of the district. I mean, she sat, sits on transportation. And even though the, the infrastructure bill and Build Back Better, right, uh, horrible, but at least if it's, it's moving right, right for us in South Carolina. Right? We, have, we need money for roads. We need money for bridges. Port Royal needs money. Where was she on all of that? You know, she was busy, uh, you know, taking Carol Baskins out to Monkey Island. So I, I'm, I need to send her home. And, and you know, I, I hope that your listeners, um, I appreciate that you're voting for me, um, but I hope your listeners understand how critically important it is not just to send any Republican up to Washington in 2022, but to send a, a Republican who's going to keep that America First agenda as the priority and not move off of it. And that's what, you know, my message is. 
Yeah. Now, you had mentioned inflation, which is really hitting really hard. And mm. gas prices are rising. Now, Uncle Joe turned around and shut down the drilling, shut down the Keystone Pipeline, shut down Anwar. Yet he opens up yep. the Russians' uh, Nord Stream Pipeline. He's begging the Russians yep. for oil and giving Putin our money, which he's using now to invade the Ukraine. So now everyone's upset. We don't want any Russian oil. So what does he do? He goes over to Iran, who wants to see us dead, who wants to destroy oh. the evil, the, the, the devil, the United States of America. You, you, I can hear you so start when I sputter. <laughs> it drives me crazy. So, like, when Trump came into office, there were things that he did immediately that the world was like, no. You know, the Democrats were, you know, having their, their, you know, orange man bad syndrome. But the things that he did, right, he didn't owe anybody in Washington anything, right? So let's take, let's break this down. We got Joe Biden, who's been in office 48 years. He's been involved in government for 48 years. Tell me one thing in 48 years that man has done to improve our lives. I, I would say he's actually been one of the leading causes of why so many young black men are in jail today from his, his criminal reform bill back in the 80s. He hasn't done anything to make this country better. And as a president, he has put us in the worst possible position we have ever been in in the United States of America, the worst president ever. Now, Donald J. Trump comes into office. First, he says that BS deal that Obama signed with Iran not to build nuclear weapons, we're going to pay them. All they did was take that money and they built those nuclear reactors underground so the satellites couldn't see them. And Trump came into office and he said, we're out of this deal. The next thing he said is the Paris Accord. The Par- Everybody's clamoring about, you know, climate change. The Paris Accord did nothing to stop Russia, China, other countries from polluting, which they, their carbon footprint is exponentially higher than ours. We're actually one of the top five in the world as far as reducing our, of our carbon footprint. So why would you give U.S. tax dollars to China to, for, for, to, to become more green? It was absolutely the most asinine thing, and I'm proud of President Trump for pulling out of that. But, you know, in my election in 2018, you know, it was, I didn't communicate it effectively, um, and that's on me. I own that. Um, I said I supported President Trump lifting the ban on offshore drilling. And everyone, you know, the Democrats and even Nancy Mace jumped on me on this one. You know, you're for drilling off the coast of South Carolina. No, there's no oil over there. But what President Trump was doing was giving us in the United States the opportunity to drill for oil in the Gulf of Mexico in our waters. Now, what China had been doing prior to that is going 200 miles off the coast in the Gulf of Mexico and drilling for oil and selling our, and Russia, selling our oil back to us. President Trump also was very strategic in shutting down the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. No one knew about that pipeline but Donald J. Trump. And people forget in 2019, he went toe-to-toe with Germany and said in a meeting, you have to not sign this deal with Russia for energy, for natural gas, because if you do, you are going to be in a world of hurt because Putin can't be trusted. Now, Donald Trump said that. In 2019, and look where we are today, right? Yeah. yeah. And you now, look at, at Putin's history, right? 
he, when George Bush was the lame duck president on his way out and Obama was getting elected, he shut down the nation state of Georgia. He turned them off in a cyber attack, and then he invaded. He did the exact same thing in the Obama administration in 2014. Then four years of Donald J. Trump, where he put Putin in his place, he did nothing. We were safe. You know, For four years, our country was safe. Well, Katie, Biden's in you, office. You, well, you know, amazingly, when you said offshore drilling when you were running, in 2018, I was cheering you on because few people understand exactly what that entails and how much safer it is and yep. the, the advantages to the wildlife. Now, the snappers were almost extinct in the Gulf of Mexico, but when they started putting up those rigs, it ended up becoming a natural reef, and now it's teeming. And we're having problems oh. now off, off our coast with you know, some of the native species are starting to disappear. If we did have some drills, and they're five miles offshore, they're not near, they're on the, the upper shelf, so they're not deep water wells, we could reinvigorate our fishing tourism, our fishing industry, and bring in more tourism to the coastal areas, because you're not going to see the rigs if there is. You know, well, at least let them explore. And if there's a chance... Well, there, there's no oil out there. They did the studies in the early 50s, and they did them in the, the turn of the century. There's no oil, but there's, you know, and, and your point about the natural reefs, right? We, that has one, been one of the benefits to the, you know, the Gulf of Mexico. And, but, you know, the, the point of the matter is, here's the thing, right? I would much rather OSHA and my EPA be over a rig than China with no rules, no laws, no nothing, 201 miles off of the shore of, of you know, Texas or, or Florida drilling away. And if they have a leak, they don't have to report it. They don't have to do anything. It's, no, they're, they're all it, around you Cuba. Know, it, oh, yeah. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And there are no rules. There's no oversight. Um, so it's, we look at what we had when Trump was in office. And then you look at what we got with Biden. And it's like you're, you know, you hear Trump and you're like, oh, Trump. And, you know, somebody said the other day to me, you know, um, well, it was too, you know, Trump didn't, no one knew what Trump would do. And, and so Putin wouldn't do anything because he never knew what Trump would really do. And the bottom line is Trump was a patriot. Trump is a patriot. Trump wants this nation to succeed more than he wants any other nation on the planet to succeed. Period. Putin, on the other hand, wants every other nation destroyed. And he wants to be the world's superpower. Him and Z, I mean, they argue it over, the two of them, you know, who's going to be bigger and better. Um, but it's ridiculous the power that, you know, Biden gave um, Putin. He handed it over to him. Um, you know, he was more concerned about protecting his son. You know, we were not talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. We're not talking about Burisma. You know, they're, they're all, you know, oh, poor Ukraine. Well, if the Democrats had followed through and had been just, as, you know, as investigatory as they were to the Trump family as to the Biden family, but the hypocrisy that they show, you know, Biden's all great. We have a, a laptop that has been confirmed as Hunter Biden's and it's been confirmed. There's no shadow of a doubt that when he refers to the big man getting kickbacks from Russian oil and Chinese oil and gas, it's Joe Biden, that Joe Biden is the vice president of our country, was selling us out and the, the media 
nor the Democrats will acknowledge it. So we shouldn't be surprised where we are. It's just sad that so many people in Ukraine are losing their lives today. And the blood of, of those, you know, they, they're on the hands of Putin, but they're also on the hands of Biden, as well as the 13 soldiers, uh, uh, men and women that died in Afghanistan. This president is an abomination to this nation. He really is. And Kamala is just as is culpable. I mean, both of them should be impeached, period. Uh, don't get me started on nasty Pelosi. I mean, what was she thinking of? He, he's, Biden, at the State of the Union, is talking about the military that are coming down with cancer because of the burn pits. Uh, he got his facts a little mixed up there. But Nancy Pelosi standing up and smiling, cheering, and clapping? Because well, our men and women in the military are dying and you're happy? She's So I don't, I, I'm not exactly sure if she missed, you know, she didn't know if she was supposed to clap, she can stand, but she did look a little crazy there rubbing her hands together. But the, mm-hmm. you know what, out of all the, the, the kerfuffles and, you know, calling you, the Ukrainians, the Iranians, and, you know, getting stumbled up and building a vaccine wall, I mean, I don't even know where Uncle Joe was going on that one. But at the end of the speech, um, I was watching it with my team, and when he started, you know, God bless America, God bless the troops, and then he said, let's go, and, and, and he ended up saying, I think, get him, but I swear to you, he was going to say, let's go, Brandon, and something, you know, <laughs> in him just said, oh, wait, that'd be bad, because I swear, that's what he's getting ready to say, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> His wife it, must it, have been signaling to him, like, shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, did you see Kamala behind him? I mean, like, when he said Iranian, she's like, she tried to hold her face still, but she mumbled the words Ukraine. Like, yep. can't, you can't even read the teleprompter. They had that poor man, and it's almost elder, it, no, it is, it's elder abuse what they're doing to him. Right. Well, I, elder I've abuse. said that. I've said that many, many times. It is elder abuse. You know, uh, but the road we're going down with what's going on in Ukraine. And I, I, I at this moment in time, I'm, I'm glad my husband passed because if he saw what was going on, he would be absolutely exploding because my husband is from Latvia and his family. Okay. Ended up, you know, emigrating here right after World War II because they were displaced persons. They knew what it was to live under the Russians. Uh, and Putin wants the port of Riga, which is the capital of, of uh, Latvia. And it's known for its submarine base there. He wants that, that mm-hmm. base back. So he's going to go through Ukraine. Then he's going to go through, um, I'm looking at the map now, was it Belarus? That is between Belarus. the Baltic state. Yeah, Belarus. All right, I got that correct. I'm, I'm putting a map in my memory, and then he'll go after the three Baltic states: Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia. And all oh, he has and, now, and he now, and then, yeah. And then you got Poland, folks. Like, really? Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you know why we have so many treaties with Poland? Harken anyone to look up Google U.S. State Department special security treaty with Poland and read for yourself why Poland is so critical. It, it, it's out there for the public. But, but what we have to remember, right, is that any ism is bad. Communism, socialism, they're bad, right? They're inherently bad. They don't work. Isms are bad. When I ran in 2018, um, I did a, a and shame on me, I did an interview with MSNBC, and they asked me at that point in time, 2018, you know, who, who is the greatest national security threat to America? And at that time I said, I didn't even blink an eye and I said China. 
And they were like, no, what about Russian collusion? And I said, no, under the President Trump's economy, right, he's got Putin on his knees. The Russian economy is dwindling because President Trump is taking what makes the Russian economy move away from him. So there was no Russian collusion, right? He, the last thing that Putin wanted was, was President Trump in office. It was the last thing that he wanted. That whole collusion thing is hysterical because he knew, Putin knew, as soon as Trump got in there, he was going to start and take it away, right? And mm-hmm. China at that time was, you know, stealing everything under the sun from us in, in intellectual property, um, research and development, you know, sending their kids here to get educated, then bringing them back to create weapons to, to beat up against us. But you think about it, right? Putin at that point in time, had his economy was the state of Rhode Island. Trump had, yeah. had eviscerated Putin. Now, well, you know, they didn't want to listen to DJT saying, listen, don't buy oil from him and don't buy grain from him. It would be bad, right? So not only is the European nations, you know, are they struggling with energy right now, they're also struggling with grain and, you know, food. And that is another thing that, you know, until we actually start, you know, truly sanctioning. And and Joe Biden, pathetic, pathetic. You know, they're going to take 800,000 barrels of oil. That's like a day and a half of oil, right? That doesn't do anything. He doesn't have the hook but to stand up to this guy. He's, you know, tap dancing around it. And, you know, the better part of his State of the Union speech was dedicated to what happened to Ukraine. Well, I'm sorry, sir. Ukraine was 100% preventable. You're talking about all of this destruction, all of these people whose lives are being, you know, ended or traumatized and forever changed. It was 100% preventable. And how dare you use the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives to talk about what you're going to do to save these people or to help these people with my tax dollars. You should never have let it happen. It wouldn't have happened on Donald J. Trump's watch. And shame on him. He is an embarrassment to the world. You know, it, it's yeah, amazing. He's, he's, he, he's, he's offering to help the Ukrainians you know, by boycotting and whatever mamby-pamby crap he's pulling out. But what did he do in Afghanistan? We still have Americans trapped back over there. What is he doing over no. there? Nothing. Nothing. Department of Defense, we worked on the Afghan withdrawal program. I can tell you, listen, we left a binder, Afghan withdrawal. We were never leaving Bagram Airfield, right? And we would always. So right now in in the world, so your listeners know, uh, today we're in 69 countries around the world. We have a military presence in 69 countries around the world. We had 70. We pulled out of Afghanistan. The Trump exit plan was a very low withdrawal to make sure that it wasn't a, a, a knee-jerk reaction of, an, of I would say, a, um, uh, how do I say it, immature president, right, to, to pull everybody out, to not only harm the lives of U.S. soldiers and airmen, you know, men and women that are there to fight, but our allied partners, and uh, that they just kind of gave, left the, the, it was 100% the worst military action ever in U.S. history. And that's a pretty bold statement to say, considering, you know, the, what, all the wars we fought in. But Biden doesn't have the capacity to lead. He has a Department of Defense, Secretary Austin, and General Milley. I still don't understand why those two men have not been relieved of duty 
as they were in charge of the Department of Defense, but instead they're more concerned about the woke culture and making sure that, you know, we're, it's a kinder, gentler um, military. And, and I, I made a speech this weekend. You know, if the Russian soldiers are, are marching through Ukraine and have no problem bayoneting a, a young man to death and, and the death of a six-year-old child, you know, there's nobody sitting there saying, um, am, am I culturally diverse enough to murder you? Am I taking your pronoun into account as I'm, as I'm putting a bayonet through your heart? We have to understand that that is the reality of the world, and our military under the leadership, the commander-in-chief of Joe Biden, is a weaker military because of that. That is not what we need to be training our soldiers, men and women, airmen, and our naval forces. They have to understand the world is an ugly, horrible place, and we are a beacon of shining light, and that we shouldn't be preoccupied with silly things of that nature when we have to fight people like Putin, and we have to keep Z at, at length, and the people of Iran, and the, it's just, to me, insane. And we have to take this country back. You know, it's, yeah. 2022 is the most important election of our lifetime, because if we don't hold the line, and Republicans tend to eat their own. We tend to turn on each other. We can't in this election. We have to lock arm in arm. We have to send to Washington the most conservative, backbone, strong-willed congressmen and women and senators to hold the line and to get prepared, A, to put a stop to all the madness that Biden's been doing, and then get all the legislation prepared and ready to go for the day that we reelect a Republican president and we're ready to take this country back. And that's what we have to do right now. That's the mission. And people like Nancy Mace, they're not the ones to be up there. They're not strong. They're not conservative. They're not leaders. And they don't prioritize what you and I need, first and foremost. And, and that's why I'm running. Well, you know, you meant, we mentioned the military, but this administration has been... Uh, how, how, I'm trying to think of the proper word, fitting the ranks in our military. So people that would be strongly patriotic, people who have strong faith or conservative values are being pushed out, and they're using the vaccine ah, mandate. Yeah, they're using the vaccine mandate to one push. of them, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, matter of fact, I've got some friends that... Uh, they said, it's time. We're leaving. I, I, I live in the heart of a military area. You know that. We've got the Paris yep. Island Gateway in a couple of miles one direction. I've got the air station in the other. I've got the Naval Hospital. I've got a neighbor across the street. She's barely hanging on to her job at the air station uh, because they are giving the vaccine mandates even to the civilians now. So it's no longer yes. just going after those in uniform. They're even going after the civilians. So if you have conservative values, if you disagree, or if you're healthy, you're young, you're one of those that really shouldn't need the vaccine. But instead, they're using this to thin the ranks, and they can put their own people in there. And you mentioned with the Pentagon, uh, well, a perfect example is this new guy that, they, um, that he appointed to handle our nuclear waste I don't even know what to call him, what his pronoun is. Oh, uh, Sam Britton? I mean, the one I, that I don't said know. I, was, I was proud to, to testify on the halls of Congress in stiletto heels because I could wear them. And he is a sexual I, deviant that 
teaches people how to be a bestiality? You've got to be kidding me. I, I don't. I have no words for this administration. I, like I said, my, the, the gentleman I reported to, you know, his qualifications were he was the first openly gay Latino indigenous deputy assistant secretary. Had no prior experience working in the industrial base had never worked at a factory or a manufacturing facility, had never worked as a defense contractor. His, you know, his resume was he wrote a really nice speech for Barack Obama. You know, it's this, this is everything the Democrats have always been, right? It's just they're so emboldened, you know, in the past, you know, Obama, right, made them emboldened. And if you ask me, this nation started getting really, really divided during the Obama eras, right? Like, we, we elected the first black, you know, president, right? And, and in that time frame is when they really started to indoctrinate our education system, our academics, with, you know, critical race theory and starting in the colleges at that time. Barack Obama, and it started the, the downfall, right? And who did he have his right-hand side, you know, Biden? And... The one mm-hmm. thing that your listeners remember, right? I'm sure I'm hopping everybody up and getting them fired up. But remember what Barack said? Never underestimate Joe's ability to blank things up, right? <laughs> Never yeah. underestimate Joe's ability to blank things up. And ladies and gentlemen, he's blanking them up all over the place. There isn't one Democratic policy that anybody in the Democratic Party can defend today. There's not one. So Joe Biden in the State of the Union, well, we've got, you know, we've got to get our handle on crime. Well, if you hadn't opened the borders, right, and you hadn't sat in the basement during the pandemic and tell everybody to defund the police, you wouldn't have the crime epidemic you have, right? You you were talking about the gas prices. Sir, if you didn't close down the Keystone Pipeline and you didn't shut down fracking, we wouldn't have this problem. Inflation, you know, well, inflation is a direct result of gas prices. And when you tell people that the minimum wage is $15 and small businesses go out of business because they can't afford it and you don't have people who can work to move things across the country because we can't pay them enough because, you know, you're paying them to stay at home, well, yeah, you're going to have a supply crisis. You know, it's what the Democrats have never understood. And if, if there's anything in the Republican creed, it says something that gives me chills every time I hear the Republican creed. I will not take a handout. Republicans will give you a hand up any day of the week. They'll give you a hand up. But what, and the analogy I'll give, right? I'll take you to the store, I'll buy you a fishing pole, and I'll spend the time to teach you to fish. But I will not buy you dinner. Mm-hmm. That, yes. that is what we need. We need people who are going to give a hand up, not a hand out. Democrats, they want to give the hand out because then you become reliant upon them. And I will say the Democratic, the, the, the whole Democratic policy, right, wants to, you know, mentally enslave so the minority population of America to believe that they need to be dependent on the government. The purpose of the Declaration of Independence was to declare our freedoms were divinely given to us by God. And the purpose of the Constitution was to say what government couldn't do. They couldn't take away your your right of speech. They couldn't take away your Second Amendment. That the state's rights prevailed over the federal rights. Think about that, folks, right? And these are the people that want to, you know, they want to desecrate all of that. The Founding Fathers knew 
we get wackos in there. And they wrote the Constitution to make sure those wackos didn't overexpand government. And we have to defend and hold the line because the Democratic Party, right now, the way I explained it to my, my son the other night, they're like a teenage girl on a Friday night who failed math. And I'm the parent telling her she can't go out until she gets her math homework right. And she's screaming like a petulant child would. You know, you're, you're not being fair. You're not letting me do what I want to do. Nope. I'm doing the right thing for you to be a better human being and to take care of yourself in, in, when you're out of my home. And we've got to hold the line. We've got to be the grown-ups in the room. And we have to show up on June 14th, which is primary day. And we have to show up in November and, and vote. We in South Carolina, in 2016, we showed out in full force. In 2018, we were down 36%. The Democrats had their way. They took, that, they took the first congressional. We've got to come back. You know, Nancy Mace is, you know, and, and Lindsey Graham were on the ballot in, in 20, right? Lindsey won by four. Nancy got dragged across the finish line with just 1% of the vote. Not like everybody was in love with her. She was just a Republican. We've got to come out mm-hmm. in droves for me on the 14th in June for the primary. We've got to send a strong conservative up to Washington. We've got to stay behind that Republican through the, the, the general election and show up in November to get it done. Uh, my website is katie4, that's F-O-R-S-C dot com. Um, I announced about four weeks ago I'm late to the game because, you know, I was fighting with the DOD for a minute. I need everyone's help. I hate to ask for donations, but I need to. I went to an event the other night. Somebody said they were offended. I asked. Well, you're going to get hit with a lot of negative press, negative media from the Democrats and from Ms. Mace, saying how she's doing all the right things and I'm a horrible person. Um, and all I want to do is make sure that everybody's aware that, A, President Trump endorsed me and what my plan is to make America great again, again, and to make sure that the America First agenda is the only thing I'm focused on. And that takes money. Um, it takes support. So if any of your listeners, $5, $10, you know, somebody that can max out, that's wonderful. But every penny counts because it's finally tr- We've got to get the truth out there. And I thank you for the opportunity for letting me come on today and speak. I mean, I, I know I've been very passionate, but I am very passionate. You know, I'm a grandmother. No. And <laughs> you're a mother, a grandmother. Yep. Yep. And it's, you're going to be at our Tea Party meeting in April. Are you going up to the Trump rally that's in Florence in, I think, it's about two weeks? So, actually, yes. And if people go to um, uh, my website, the katie4sd.com, I'm actually um, getting buses so people don't have to drive up there um, as a survivor uh-huh. of a very bad car accident. Um, we're asking for a donation of $150. We will have buses that will take you um, up to Florence um, that will get um, special um, seating. Uh, you'll actually be on stage with the president sitting behind him during the rally. We're going to have a tailgate. Um, we'll provide lunch for everybody. Um, and good old-fashioned stumping, right? I love good old-fashioned political stumping. So we'll have an area with a stage and a microphone. I've invited all of the, the legislators in the area to come up there and um, have a good afternoon of stumping. Then we'll have expedited um, entry into the event, so you won't have to wait in the five-hour line. And then we will bring you back home by bus. And 
the $150 is going to cover all that um, so we can make sure that people can go to the event safe, um, not wait in line, eat, have a good time, get to know each other. You know, SC1 is a South Carolina 1st Congressional District. is a very diverse district, but we really are one team, one fight. And I think it's a great opportunity to meet your neighbors um, and have some camaraderie about being a, a strong conservative and uh, looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Well, you know, now, now you got me where I'm, I was ordering tickets. I'm going to get, go on to your site. I'm going to get tickets, a ticket for myself at least. I don't know if anyone will go with right. me. But I'll also notify my Tea Party members, and now I can resurrect my T-shirt I wore at the rally in Charleston before the pandemic went full cycle, and I was trying to broadcast from there. It said, Buford Tea Party for Trump. <laughs> so, yep. Hey, no, Katie. You know, I – yes, sir. Yeah, this is the co-host. Um, once you get to Washington, even before then, what what are your views on how we as Republicans, especially the leadership, try to attract more younger people into the movement, the conservative movement? I mean, we do have to have replacements um, eventually. So that is the most amazing question, and I brought it um – I can't even remember where I was speaking yesterday. Oh, I was I, I was speaking with Mike Cochran, who's the um, in Mount Pleasant, and I said, you know what the Republican Party doesn't do, right? Is we don't recruit. We we don't, you know, the Democrats' whole you know platform is about recruitment of young people and indoctrinating them and saying you're a Democrat from when they're you know 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, one of the things that I I I very much want to do is go into a the minority communities, right? Most minority communities don't realize that they are conservative Republican. We had um, Ms. Harriet up here in Dorchester County, um, lifelong Republican, a Democrat, switching her party to Democrat, uh, to Republican. And she said, you know, I didn't realize I was a Republican my whole life, but I, 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 I because, you know, the color of my skin thought I was a Democrat. Um, going in and doing outreach, right? And I say it starts where the church is, right? We need to go to the churches. Um, you know, when I ran in 18, I had 13, uh, you know, black pastors that endorsed me. Um, and, and why they endorsed me on the campaign is I went in and I talked to them. And I said, you know, they're like, well, we're lifelong Democrats. I'm like, are you really? Let's talk about the Democrat agenda, right? If you're a pastor and you're standing in front of your, your, your congregation on Sunday morning and you say abortion is okay, you are not a pastor of my God. You're not a Christian pastor by any stretch of the imagination. I said, and what is the thing that's destroying, you know, the, the, the black nuclear family, right? You know, I would say 62 million black lives have been lost since Roe versus Wade. Um, you know, the Holocaust, you know, think about the amount of life lost, right? Um, you look at African-American women um, that have children. They are very maternal they are very much, you know, a, a maternal group that are, you know, about taking care of their kids, making, you know, they're doing their absolute best to keep and put food on the table for their kids and, and keeping them right by them in church. Those are conservative values. It's just it's, they've been indoctrinated. So we need to get in there. We need to discuss. We have to have those uncomfortable conversations and saying, you know, what is important to you, right, is getting your child motivated to know that they are in charge of their own lives and they have the potential to do anything they want to do as long as they put the hard work into it. Um, I also, you know, believe that one of the things 
you know, I want to go and serve for four terms, eight years, that's it, right? We should be looking at, okay, send Katie to Washington, but who else in our community can we start getting in place to, to go up and follow, right? Instead of, you know, coming out of the woodwork, uh, people that, you know, just, you know, I want to run. I, I've got two people running against me right now, um, Lindsay Loomis Piper. You know, she's, she is a, a God-fearing woman who's really focused on states' rights, right? She should be a state legislator, not a, a federal. Her, her issues and what she's talking about are all state issues. Um, we need to find a place for Lindsay, right? She's got a great – her, her mindset is in the right place, but it's not in the federal sphere, um, you know, Ingrid is a good, you know, her background, her resume as a, you know, a military veteran. Um, she's new to the area. Let's get her, you know, indoctrinated into some of, not indoctrinated, wrong word, into some local boards and, and you know, school boards or councils. Start preparing these people to lead. Um, and, and that's what we need to do in the Republican Party, you know, and we need to show up at colleges and universities and high schools and say, are you registered to vote? Here's, you know, registration. We tend not to do that, and those are things that I'm going to take an active role in doing. Um, we have a great, um, you know, senator in this state, Ken Scott, who, you know, that's part of his message, right? We've got to go to the kids. We've got to tell them that, you know, it's, the cancel culture can't take away your right to believe in being a conservative, and we've got to stand strong with them and back them. But that's, you know, those are definite plans that I have, you know, um, getting in there, getting young, you know, getting to the younger generation and saying, you know, you may not realize it, but you're a Republican. This is why. Yeah, we ha- we have a new leader in the young Republicans here in the county, and he's doing a lot of um, local outreach. Uh, and he's, I think he's going to really blossom the group of the young Republicans. I should have Kevin Henley put you in touch with uh, him. I-, I have his information somewhere, too. I can probably shoot that over to Chris for you, too, so you can reach out to him Thank also. You. Yeah, I didn't think to help. You know that. Um, but uh, One team, one fight, you're right? <laughs> What's that? I said one I team, that. one fight. Exactly. One team, exactly. one fight. Well, I tell my Tea Party people that when you walk through that door for the meeting, you leave your ego there. We're all here yep. fighting the same battle. And it doesn't mean, yeah. uh, simply because I may be chair, it doesn't mean I have all the answers. What of you is going to give me an answer that I, I missed? And I'm willing to listen. And that's the whole thing that I find with you. You're willing to listen, which we need in our representative. There is a link on the show page so that when people catch the archives later, they can click on it and help you with your campaign, which is Katie, the word for, F-O-R-S-C, which stands for South Carolina, Katie4SC.com. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. I'm sure that you've got to run. But I was so proud to see myself on your calendar Saturday. (laughs) Well, listen, and I'm going to say this to to everybody that's listening. You know, I pray that I'm never the smartest person in the room. I pray that because if we are, we're in trouble, right? And <laughs> and when people go to Washington, they tend to think that they're the smartest people, and they're not. Um, two, I I look at legislation as a team sport, if you are, right? I don't, you know, I'm not the best person on, you know, and, and I don't want to put a word out there that can get misconstrued, right? But if, I have a, if I'm bringing up a vote or getting ready to vote on something like, um, uh, you know, financial or, you know, banking issues, I want to reach out to my local leaders and say, hey, what does this mean to you? I'm reading the legislation. I understand it. But what does it mean to you? Reaching out to doctors, you know, what does this legislation mean to you if it's about health care? 
and educators. You know, I, I firmly believe we need to get rid of the Federal Department of Education. I think that's a huge waste of money, so I don't really want to reach out to them. But, you know, I want to go to the local level. But it's leadership is knowing who to communicate with to help make the best decision. It is not knowing all the answers. And, you know, that's one of the great things about, you know, when Donald Trump didn't know something, he knew who to call. Um, I know a lot of people to call, but this is, you know, I'm the, I want to go be the voice, right? I'm not the opinion. I'm the voice of the district. And, you know, I need to hear from everybody. Um, you know, I'm, as, as, you know, I hope you vote for me. I hope you donate and, and get behind me in the campaign. But I can promise you, if you do, I'm a woman of my word, right? I'm not going to Washington to be famous. I'm going to Washington to be there the days that I need to vote and be in committee. The rest of the time, my job is to listen and to try and fix the problems we've got in our state, to work with our local legislators, our state legislators, along with our federal legislators, because it's a team sport. And we can't have what the federal government's doing messing up what the state's doing and vice versa. Um, and I hope that everybody listening, um, you know, A, help me in the donations because, uh, you know, I've got March 31st is my deadline date to raise money uh, to show that I'm capable of winning this election. And then I need everybody to show up on June 14th and vote. And if anything I say today, you know, makes you, you, you have more questions, go to the, my email address is at the website. Send them in. I do respond. But thank you for your time today. I so appreciate you both for doing this. And looking forward to seeing you up uh, at March 12th in Florence. Yeah, and then at our Tea Party meeting in April. And you may end up coming down to one of our GOP meetings. So we never know where we'll run into each other again. Well, God bless you, Katie, for the hard work you're doing. God bless you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right, Katie Arrington running here in South Carolina for District 1 against Nancy Mace. And uh, I I think she is – maybe that accident was maybe in a way a secret blessing because she is so much more powerful, so much more dynamic than when she was running in 2018. And I think she's an excellent, excellent replacement for um, Nancy Mace. And I apologize. For some reason, I don't know how to turn the sound down on this one. Oh, here we go. It'll all be down. Well, I didn't realize it was on. Okay. Um, we got a few minutes before our next guest calls in. Uh, we're going to have uh, Cecily Davis calling in in a few minutes. Uh, there's something that just hit the news just as I was warming up my equipment today. And um, Joe Carsonaya, uh, he is um, in jail for the Boston bombing. And he oh. had an appeal. Uh, the brother, the one surviving brother. Right, right. And there was an appeal to the Supreme Court to um, not give him the death sentence. He was trying to sneak out from underneath that. Well, the Supreme Court ruled. And guess what? He is going to be placed before a judge and sentenced to death. So it's been a long time. How did they rule? I mean, what margin? They, they, Five to three? Oh, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch it. Like I said, it was just being announced as I was coming in the office here to warm up all of my equipment. Uh, so I didn't see that. I'll I can check later on. Yeah. But uh, Joe Carson Nyan will be going for a judge and will be sentenced to death for the Boston bombing. So Heck yeah. that's 
that's that's uh, one in our favor. One in our it was favor. Those pressure cooker bombs and killed a young boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I'm looking. I was looking for an article while I was talking to Katie, and I had it in my fat little hands last night, and I deliberately marked it up because I wanted to talk about it, and I don't know what the heck I just did with it. Uh, Annie, you're so disorganized. Oh, well. There is legislation that recently passed. I'm wondering if I have it in this batch. I would have sworn I didn't. Um, recently passed, and we were talking... Uh, to some of the people in from Canada about their similar legislation. Oh, here it is. I got it. Here we go. Let me pull this out. All right. Six Republicans vote with Democrats on alarming LBGTQ legislation. Um, and here it is. The legislation is called the Global Respect Act. This went under the radar. No one heard about this one. But it actually mimics the Canadian law that basically says if you disagree with that lifestyle, whether because of your faith or your moral values, um, the very simple act of you disagreeing with their their choices, their, their gender or sexual choices, whatever you want to call it, if you disagree with it, you could be committing a crime. This is, this is really, really frightening. The article goes, uh, the Global Respect Act um, makes our American values disappear. It is a foreign relations bill. The legislation gives preferential treatment to people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, or queer. In mm. the GRA, the U.S. federal government will have the power to deny human rights to anyone who does not espouse those radical lifestyle choices. The bill will compel citizens, you, to denounce values and traditions and acknowledge the LBGTQ beliefs as moral. So if you are someone that's a Christian conservative, to force you. All right, fine. I don't care what you do behind your closed doors. That's your business. I just don't need it in my face, okay? I will treat you with love and respect as a Christian. I mean, I have friends that are part of the LBGTQ community. I give them my love and respect, but they do know that, you know, as my values, I don't agree. So we will agree to disagree. So what is wrong with that? That's an American value. That's a good Christian value. Well... It will block visa sanctions to anyone who adheres to religious teachings, even health concerns, and supposedly violates the LBGTQ person's rights. What's disturbing is that, as written in the bill, all a person has to do is be guilty to, of disagreement with the lifestyle. Um, oh, no Stefano, freedom of thought or speech or anything, huh? Yep. Uh, all right, he, he is, this guy, Stefano Gennarini, he's the Vice President for Legal Studies of the Center for Family and Human Rights. He has lived in the work in the U.S. and the U.K. and Italy. 
He's also served as a missionary in Nigeria, the West Indies, and Israel. And he is rightfully outraged. Uh, he's saying that this is how the McCarthy movement against communists started. They said they wanted to find communists outside the United States. And instead, they hunted for them here. And it looks like our next guest is in on the line. Mm. Let's bring her along. And as I click on the little button here, I want to welcome back to the show Cecily Davis, who is running against Ilyan Omar in Minnesota. Oh, yes. I got that right, don't I? Minnesota <laughs> for her seat in Congress. Welcome back, Cecily Davis. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, you and your listeners. Oh, it is our opportunity. Um, I just want to remind you people, welcome. you know, you're a former <laughs> New Yorker, uh, an urban dweller at one point. Uh, you moved to Minneapolis, and boy, you had a really eye-opening experience going from uh, liberal New York to Minnesota. Uh, what, and this helped you to become qualified to run for the seat against Ilian Omar because you've seen both sides of the coin uniquely seen both sides of the coin. Absolutely. Spending time with veterans. I actually started, I spent time with veterans. And when you spend time with people who would literally lay down their life for an entire country and its notion, its principles, um, and for people who they do not know um, but believe so deeply in um, the country to which they, they live, um, and they're willing to die for those people, um, it affects you. It infects you, and that's what it did for me. And so from there, I recognize that America is absolutely exceptional, um, and we are so very privileged to be born on this soil. And I wanted to do everything that I can to support its founding, um, support all of its principles, and then support any leaders, any candidates who are for um, supporting the exceptionalism of America. And that's what got me so very involved, and it's been extremely rewarding. Well, you know, Ilya Omar has been making a lot of noise as part of the squad. Mm-hmm. And she's going for the defund the police. And recently mm-hmm. there was a referendum in your state, uh, no, it was Minneapolis, a referendum about whether or not the citizens wanted to defund the police. And that was soundly defeated. I mean, we're looking at the lawlessness that's going on that is so rampant and the attacks. I mean, the ambushes on police officers. Um, Defunding the police, is that the smartest idea? Absolutely not. And so with Ilhan Omar, you take any issue, any issue, public safety, education, um, financial um, pursuits, she's on the wrong side of it. And so what you're referring to is an amendment to defund the police, to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. And what the city council was asking the citizens to do was to vote on that. And 57% of Minneapolis residents said, no, we actually want more police, not less. And 75% of black voters said, we want more police presence, not less. And so that's what you saw this past November. And so it's an indication that when given progressive policies, there's only so much independence will allow um, and will stomach. And so that shows to me that there is an awakening on common sense that people want Minneapolis and Congressional District 5 to be a safe place to live, a safe place to work, and a safe place to visit. Well, I just had Katie Arrington. She's running for, uh, going to try to challenge Nancy Mays for the seat here in South Carolina District 1. Uh, and we were talking about 
Ukraine and the gas prices and what Joe Biden is doing to this nation. You know, when you think, oh, I'm going to be paying a few more dollars at the pump, it's not just at the pump, it's the grocery store, it's your utilities, it's every single aspect of our life is going to increase in cost. Wherever you spend a dollar, it's going to be almost doubled. And you're heading to Congress, what would you do then at that point to help us take back our oil independence, our energy independence, I should say? Well, I think, number one, you just hit it. We need to become energy independent. We were that under Donald, Donald Trump. Um, and so we, need, we have energy. We need to use it. We need to send a serious um, and very strong message to Putin and anyone else who is against America that we actually are self-sufficient financially. You know, when you talk about the State of the Union, um, you talk about a disastrous, in my opinion, um, he, Biden seems to have taken somewhat of a victory lap in that speech. He, refer- he referenced a number of challenges in this country. He took absolutely no responsibility. Um, and he talked about inflation, failing to mention the trillions of dollars of new spending um, that drove up the debt. He referred to gas prices going up, failing to discuss the policies that are destroying domestic energy markets. And he talked about Ukraine. He, did it, he didn't acknowledge the direct responsibility he bears for the attack for those two reasons. We see the same type of leadership, and this is what we're suffering here in Congressional District 5. We have a leader who has no interest in the wills or the wants of the constituency. They have their own incredible, ridiculous agenda that's actually going to sink. It's going to sink the financial dollars and the viability of this district. Joe Biden and his administration will absolutely sink America. Now is the time. Whether you're red or blue, this isn't even a partisan issue at this moment. Right now, we, have, we are suffering under a leadership that's literally trying to dismantle America. We will not notice that the hour is now for everyone to come together, decide that you're American, and stop this type of leadership. Putin only respects um, leadership. He only respects those who will stand up. And this administration has proven that they feel that the way to deal with China, Iran, Putin is to appease them. That's not working, and we are suffering for it. No, not only that, he's buying the oil from Russia. Mm-hmm. Well, you're just now mm-hmm. funding the invasion into the Ukraine. No, all right, everyone's saying don't buy Russian oil, right. so now he's going to go to our worst enemy, Iran. Well, I shouldn't say the worst. I think China's even worse, more horrible. But go to Iran right. that wants to see the United States out of existence, and you're going to give them our tax dollars to buy oil. No, 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 no. Now, there was a right. non-serious bill that went up on the floor recently to open up um, drilling, and mm-hmm. several and several conservatives took a hit for voting against it. What people didn't realize in that bill was something where, yeah, you're going to open up drilling land, but you're doing it where the military tests their equipment. So you're going to hamper our military ability to perform in a field of battle. You're sending us into a possible World War III and you want to buy oil from our enemies. Does this make any yeah. sense to you at all? It makes zero sense, and it makes zero sense to the American people. I think if you came away from that speech and you understand what Biden and this administration is doing and the decisions that are being made, clearly, clearly this is an inept administration. They have absolutely no idea what actual leadership really is. 
people will follow a real leader. They want leaders to lead. And so when you make decisions here in America, on American soil, to impact the American people, but it's to the very demise of the American people, then I think that we have to come to a decision that we have leadership that's actually not for us but against us. And so right now, when you talk about Putin, when you talk about China, when you talk about Iran, these are civilizations. They don't think or operate the way we do. They simply only respect strong leadership, which is what we had in Donald Trump. We need to return to that. So right now, Biden and this administration is setting a legacy. Unfortunately, it's to our own, it's to our detriment. Um, and so we need a change. If he cannot make the decision, then we as the American people will have to make it for them because we are facing something very, very serious. Very strategically right now, our enemies are challenging and they're looking at the the resolve of the man that's in the White House that's leading our country, and they're feeling emboldened, we should be worried. We should absolutely be concerned um, as to what Putin, therefore China, Iran, and anyone else who hates America, we should absolutely be concerned. Well, you know, uh, Biden imposed these weak sanctions against Putin. It's like just trying to slap them on the wrist. You know, you're nothing more than a gnat flying around a bear's head. You're not doing anything. But you look at some of the other countries in NATO, such as France and uh, I think uh, Germany, Mm -hmm. are confiscating the yachts of these ogolarks because they're the ones making all the money off that oil. Um, So if we shut down any oil purchase, if we were able to not open the Nord Stream, shut that back down, you know, Putin again will be powerless. He would have no choice but to pull out of Ukraine. But instead, we got these weak sanctions that mean absolutely nothing. So what can we we do? Yeah, so I think this invasion was, in my opinion, some a lot of people say inevitable. I say the word preventable. Putin only respects strength, which is, like I said, what what Trump absolutely um, exemplified. Um, we saw the same. We, we're suffering from this. Our enemies are feeling emboldened. Appeasement doesn't work. In fact, it's actually more dangerous for us. What we need to do is hit the dollars. Everyone says, you hear this so often, it's not just a cliche. It's follow the money. If we attack money, if we pull back our money, we become energy, if we become energy independent and we hit the money, I guarantee you, and we stand strong, it will send a message. It will stop Putin in his tracks. We will also send a message about this Iran deal and everyone else who has their eye um, on America that we are still the global stronghold. We are still the reigning global superpower. We absolutely have to do this for our very own preservation. And so when you talk about a Biden administration, when you talk about an Ilhan, you talk about a Khalid and an AOC and a Bernie Sanders, these people are dangerous and they're in our White House They're in leadership, and they are leading us to destruction and ultimately to our demise. And so anyone who's listening to this, whether you're red or blue, do not think of these um, races as local races. This is a national race. We are facing demise if we do not turn around and decide to make a different decision and preserve what we call America. Well, that's a good pitch for a donation, because right now I have up on the show page your website, which is your name, Cicely Davis, C-I-C-E-L-Y Davis. Uh, People can go there and help you with your campaign. And you can also click on Katie's and give her $5. may not seem a lot, but when you add it up, and remember, Ted Cruz 
originally made it to the Senate because the donations he accepted were only 5 and $10, and he made it. That's and right. You yeah. can, That's too, right. and so can Katie. Go ahead, Curtis. Sicily. Yeah. Um, you were talking about failed democratic policies earlier, and if I remember correctly, isn't Minneapolis where the Clinton administration allowed the large influx of Somalians to um, settle there, and initially they weren't, you know, being productive citizens or even assimilating or trying to, but were the cause of a lot of lot of crime and whatnot. Um, how are things now? Yeah, so that's tapered off of it. Now, this is still, by all means, um, we have a significant Somali population, but not. It's still they're still they're actually not the majority. It's actually smaller than you think as compared to other states. And I will um, remind your listeners. So the black population and the Somali population combined only makes up 16.3 percent of the population. So it's significant, but it's not. They're not the majority. The issue here, the bigger demographic that I have to fight through, are white liberals. Um, and the white population in CD5 is actually 63.6%. Okay? So you're talking about people who believe in white fragility. They believe in critical race theory. They believe in white privilege. Um, they believe in that help is keeping people on the government dole. That's the mindset that has to be changed. And what's really interesting is right now, kitchen table issues are actually impacting them. So now, when you talk about bringing up gas prices, how much groceries are actually costing per bag, formula, diapers, the fact that um, money is, the money in your wallet is worth less today than it was yesterday. They're actually starting right. to wake up now because it has hit the pockets. Because it's hit the pockets, now all of a sudden there's an awareness. Like, oh, I guess, you know what? We actually did not get what we were hoping for in Ilhan Omar. Perhaps it's time to make a change. And that's why I'm so excited for this coming November. Wow. <laughs> that's a mouthful. You know, it, we have to retake the American moral values. But we're seeing ourselves attacked. And what they do is they go in after the kids when they're young. And this is something Hitler did when he created kindergartens. If you get the kids when they're young and you can start brainwashing them then, when they become adults, they will think that this mindset is normal and being a patriotic American is a bad thing. So. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's important. And education, you know what, when you talk about there is no greater investment than our children and our future. And so we cannot continue to raise children to hate America. We need to re, we need to put civics, learning how America works, the constructs of American government, um, what makes us exceptional, teaching our kids the entire American history, American history in its entirety, which, by the way, actually includes black people. It actually includes Native Americans. American history actually includes Hispanic Americans. Those were all purposely, deliberately omitted. Um, we need to put that back in and make sure that people understand, especially our children, what makes American exceptional, how it works, and then instill that pride so that we're not raising little socialists. Um, and that's what's happening, and that's the impact that critical race theory is having. You know, some, one of the things that's also, uh, just going back to the previous subject, one of the things that's also affecting our, our prices here at home, it's not just the fact that Biden closed down oil and drilling exploration, but 
he's buying oil from Russia, and now mm-hmm. instead of Russia, he wants to go to Iran and hit Iran for oil. Uh, but he's funding our enemies to take action against us and other nations and putting our tax dollars in their pocket. So now we've got a failed policy in Afghanistan, which gave China access to all these rare earth minerals so that all right. their – this administration's touting all electric vehicles. Well, where do you think they're going to be built? They're going to be built in China, who's going to provide the rare earth minerals they need for the batteries and Gee, are we putting just more and more of our money into our enemies? So you're heading to Congress. How do we stop this? Well, we first of all, we have to acknowledge that, and I feel that um, there's just not a, a real acknowledgement and understanding. We don't have leaders in Congress right now who actually understand fiscal policy. They don't understand how our economy works. Um, so much of our debt is to China, um, and so we need to cut off Um, and we need to start making products here in America. We need to send a message to China. We need to get them out of our economy. We need to disconnect the funding um, to our enemies. We need to start funding America. We need to start funding and um, adopting American business. We need to fund fund American enterprise. I think that we we were on that perfect trajectory when we had Donald Trump in office. We need to look at our tariff system, our trade systems. And so those are the things that I plan to do, is that we need to make sure that America is first and that American trade is first, American business is first, American enterprise is first, and that we really make sure that we check into what has made our nation so exceptional, and that is um, reconnecting to um, free market capitalism. That's the system that works. That's what has put, made us the strong power on the globe. That's what we need to reconnect to. That's what I plan on doing. Well, you know, I, I, you said something that just reminded me uh, <laughs> where you said made in America. And that was one of the things that President Biden said in his State of the Union. And there was a massive collective groan. He has done anything and everything to do the exact opposite. And right. Trying to listen to that speech, I mean, I ran out of barf bags. I had to, yeah. I had to get up. <laughs> I, just, I, said, I, I can't even watch it. But you question his physical and mental capacities at this point. Now, no one has seriously tried to invoke, I don't think they have. If someone has, I'm, I've missed it, uh, attempting to bring forth the, 25th, uh, the Article 25 for, you know, He's incapacitated. This is, this is nothing more than elder abuse at this point. So we have a president that is not only weak uh, in his action as president, but he's mentally and physically disabled. Yeah, so inept, completely inept. And this is the suffrage. This is the suffrage. And if you are any one of our geopolitical enemies and you take the measure of the man standing in leadership right now, You're feeling confident that America is at a weak point. We have now time. This is the moment to move in. And so we have to make a decision. Um, We either pressure this administration to do what they need to do for the sake of our survival. Um, At this point, we're just trying to survive before we can start to prosper. Um, otherwise, we, we have to go a different way. You know, you talked about that, that speech. I know I, it was tough for me to get through. I actually was 
somewhat thinking that he was going to fall asleep before I did, but he he managed to not do that. You know, there was a big disconnect economically. The biggest disconnect economically was Biden insisting that whatever he has done has worked. And he bragged about the American Rescue Plan, which, by the way, was passed on March 11th. That was the last month Americans saw real wage gains. Ever since then, it's been negative, negative, negative numbers. And so we have countless, countless check marks for failure under this administration. We need to put American manufacturing back to work. We need to get people back into the workforce. And when you say made in America, that needs to be the primo label that we need to see. That's what I plan to do. Um, we need to shut down our enemies and show that we are, are a nation that is strong and definitely not weak, but the measure of the man is not helping our optics right now. No, it, it's not. It's not. And uh, watching <clears throat> the speech, there's so many things that he had in there that were so completely wrong. And I'm surprised. I didn't see more people challenging. We didn't have a Joe Wilson in the audience going, you lie. Oh, boy, I loved him when he was my congressman. But um, (laughs) we we need to hold him accountable. And no one's holding him accountable for his actions. And the questions of his corruption, uh, as well as Hunter Biden's corruption, should be enough to start impeachment. I mean, what he did when he was vice president and also what he's gone forward with doing as president. You know, he wants to have everyone look everywhere else but where he has been making his extra money, like from Russia and China. Uh, Why is he favorable to those two? Because he was getting paid. But no one's one's doing anything. So now you're elected in Congress, and now you have the majority – would you help in starting investigations into President Biden? I mean, they tried two impeachments on Trump. Good. Immediately. <laughs> we can't afford it. We can no longer afford it. This clock is about to strike 12, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm telling you, we said this, um, we said this during election in 2020. This is a pivotal moment in American history for this voting cycle. More so than ever. Literally, right now, this is, our, this is our hour, right now. And so, yeah, it's the best time to be a, a, alive, I think, in American history. But we have to step up and decide that we're willing to make history. And so everyone, absolutely 100% of Americans need to run into the booth, and we need to cause a red wave for the absolute preservation of America and its people. If we actually want to have a future, we have got to stroke those R's. We have to have that red tsunami. Otherwise, we will be a, a, a nation that is talked about and remembered and not something that's actually existing and having impact on the globe. Absolutely. That's a huge amen. Uh, it it is, has to be a ballot box revolution. There's no ands or Ballot box revolution. And I did that at one of our rallies at the uh, last uh, national election. And, whoo, people are, are riled up. And uh, I hope that you get yourself a really good turnout and beat that liberal majority that you've got in your district. Um, <laughs> there is so much more to talk about. But recently we have a huge cancel culture. If you say mm-hmm. anything that Fauci disagrees with uh, dealing with this pandemic, which is now an endemic, um, if you turn around and say Invermectin works or taking vitamin C helps it boost your immune system, 
all of a sudden you're giving out misinformation and you're censored. And I think there was legislation attempting to make it criminal if you turn around and say something that the administration disagrees with. All of a sudden it's misinformation, you're shut down, you're censored. You lose your job, and it's actually causing division in families. How do we maintain our free speech when we have the crazy loons out there going, no, 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 you have to wear the mask, it has to be a vaccine mandate, blah, 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 blah. No, you're giving out misinformation. What do we do? Right. So number one, yeah, so number one, we have to get these people out of office. Um, Number two, um, and, and what you're talking about is that when there's cancel culture, there isn't, there's no room for trial, right? It's you're simply guilty because you said something. We disagree with it. Um, and it's made to skip the trial and go right to sentencing. So we have to shut that down. So we got to get those type of people out of office. We can't give clout to someone who gives us misinformation. Um, I think that, you know, unfortunately, I actually suggested something with social media and things like this. I suggested that, you know, perhaps something where it's a um, social media bill of rights, right? So we can hold, we need to come up with a way that we can hold um, social media giants to account and that we protect your right to express yourself on your page. Um, I think that we just got to get together, become very innovative in how we protect. Now, it's unfortunate that we need to come up with a bill of rights to protect something that's already in our Constitution, but it's something that I believe is absolutely needed because those protections Every time we give way, the cost is always, at the bottom line, our freedoms. And so we give up a little bit of our freedoms here and then. Eventually, we are Russia. We are China. Um, so, you know what, social media, media rights, um, we Bill of Rights, maybe some type of other legislation. But it's about holding everyone accountable. And I think that's where the fatigue really is. When we talk about the DOJ, we talk about social media giants, and we talk about um, – you know, Fauci, what people are tired of is that they see um, injustice and there is absolutely no justice and no one seems to be interested in holding people accountable. And eventually what you do is you wear people down and they give up and they just decide that it's not worth it. We continue to do that. We lose our nation and we, can no, we cannot, simply cannot afford that. No. They go after the free yeah. speech, but they're also going after our Second Amendment. And they're using right. every trick in the book. Now there's another push for a nationwide red flag laws. Those laws mm-hmm. are actually rather dangerous because a person has their weapons taken away from them, not being told why. You could have a neighbor down the street who just simply hates you, saying, well, this person is nuts, uh, they're acting crazy, simply because you may disagree with me politically. Um, but now the, you, they report you, you go, they go before a judge, the judge turns around and says, take the guns, and of course now you got a warrant, you have to turn your weapons over, and then you go through tons of money just to defend yourself and get them back, if you end up getting them back. They tried it with the veterans, they tried it with those of us that you know, use bill pay, because you can't be responsible. How do we stop these red flag laws and protect the Second Amendment? So, oh boy, and I, I, every time you bring something up, it's just, it's really exhausting because, again, it's just a simple attack on our fundamentals, right? Um, when you tell someone that they can't protect themselves, I would argue that you, you talked about hate. I would say that you do hate me, 
okay, which is what got me so excited and so um, invigorated here in CD5 because Ilhan Omar is for taking away your Second Amendment right, taking away the MPD. You can't protect yourself. You know why? Because I don't like you, because I'm disconnected. I'm tone deaf and I hate you. Um, and so, you know what? We double down just like they do. They double down on their Marxism. They double down on their socialism. We stand for Second Amendment rights. And you know what? We empower the NRA. We make sure that we, um, we defend law enforcement. We put in policies. Um, we're defending yourself. Um, it's already in our Constitution, but we keep that at the forefront. I think there's plenty of opportunity for legislation um, where people can um, feel confident that, uh, uh, that the Second Amendment right, um, and we work with those nonprofits and any grassroots to empower and keep that type of legislation in. I'm all for it. It's literally the same as taking the father out of the home. Why do you strip the father from the home? Because then I can break down family. How do you break down USA? You take away their right to defend themselves, right? You attack their freedom of speech. You, you, you break down their, um, at their fundamentals and leave them a weak nation. We have to fight that. We have to empower the NRA. We empower any nonprofit, any coalition that's for Second Amendment and we put them at the forefront, and we double down on that Second Amendment. I'm all for it. It's something I actually intend to do when I'm in Congress. Wow. <laughs> you, you were so full of energy. I'm glad I had you and Katie on back-to-back -back, uh, because, you know, I, I think the two of you would make a good team when you both get to Congress uh, after this election. Uh, man, yeah. people can find you. Your website is your name, Cecily Davis, C-I-C-E-L-Y Davis dot com. Uh, I wish you a lot of great luck, and uh, I look forward to having you back again. When is your primary? Primary is in May. Primary is in May. Wow. Yeah, coming up here soon. I actually have a CD5 convention um, April 2nd, and uh, yeah, so that's what I'm working towards right now, making sure I'm warming up to delegates. Um, I have the majority of the support here in the district. It's been wonderful. Um, but bringing groups together, um, I'm living my best life, but um, it's my absolute honor to represent this constituency. It's time for a reset, um, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Come November, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, good luck and God bless. Again, it's your name, CecilyDavis.com. I, guys, even if it is five bucks, even if she's not going to be representing you, it is a nationwide election. Even though she's representing one district, who we send affects the policies coming down that we have to live with. That's my, my preaching for the day, Cecily. <laughs> we have donors from all 50 states, including Puerto Rico and other military um, strongholds. So by all means, every bit counts and grassroots um, donations are actually really really important so cicelydavis.com thank you so much oh you are so welcome good luck and god bless thank you godspeed all right um mark tapscott is actually calling my cell phone and not <laughs> oh no uh, i got to call the, the number above yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm just sending him a new message. I I, I always get a kick. I, you tell them to call in, and uh, mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, he's calling the wrong number, so hopefully he'll call back and call in correctly. <laughs> oh, I always get a kick out of that because there's a lot. To I guess talk you about want a, a personal interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Um, I had an article I just took off the screen. The, oh, here it is. All right. Um, recently. Uh, a gentleman that was charged in the Capitol breach on January 6th, a 37-year-old man by the name of Matthew Perna. Um, he was scheduled to be sentenced next week. And this is what the swamp is doing to these people. Now, he didn't break anything. He didn't uh, uh, violence. He was let in. Well, unfortunately, this gentleman, before he was sentenced, has committed suicide. So our prayers go out to the family of Matthew Perna. Welcome on to the show, our bi-weekly fun. Uh, here we go. Well, a bi-monthly, I should say. Fun, Mark Tapscott with the Epic Times and founder of Hill Faith. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you today? I am great. I am great, Ann. Forgive me for being a little bit late. I was interviewing a remarkable young man here on Capitol Hill who is leaving his congressional job and is creating an app to help aides on Capitol Hill connect with each other, Uh, kind of like Facebook. Yeah, and uh, let me tell you, it takes a lot of courage to say, okay, I'm going to give up this job that pays me a salary, and I'm going to go out there and be an entrepreneur, but he's doing it. Wow, that takes a lot of guts. A lot yeah, of guys. So Having owned a business, I, I know what it takes, it, it, and it's not easy. And he's doing this on his own. Wow. Yes. Yes. And you know, he's 25 years old, and that just really gives me a renewed faith in the next generation coming up. Well, he should also then run for Congress, <laughs> run for the seat <laughs> that he was an aide for. You know? Yeah. And that, yeah. That, that would be great. Now. Some of the stuff we were talking about, because I had two excellent candidates, Katie Arrington that's running for District 1 against Nancy Mace, was just endorsed by Donald Trump and Rick Grinnell recently, just two days ago, and Cecily Davis, who's challenging Ilhan Omar. So hopefully we'll have two powerhouses that end up in uh, the House. But we, the three of us were trying to discuss this thing that we saw Tuesday evening on TV, this charade called a State of the Union from our president. Have you started breaking this thing down yet? Well, I'll tell you, Ann, I have um, been present for more State of the Union addresses than I care to remember, and it was all I could do to keep watching and listening to that one. Um, State of the Union addresses have become, I don't know why we have them anymore, because it's all political BS, if you will, and everybody knows that's what it is, and everybody knows, you know, they're not going to do half of what they say they're going to do, and we don't want them to do the other half of what they say they're going to do. So I, I'm just, that's really a negative subject with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, my mom went to bed early because she stayed up. She would have been throwing her walker at the TV. And I ran yeah. out of barf bags. So, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, he was taking credit for things. And I, I'm looking at him like, really? And then when he came back yeah. with, I want to hear Made in America again. Uh, 
build America better. And some of these things he was saying, it's just I, I'm just doing a head slap. Um, if it wasn't for his policies, we would have things made in America more than his taking office. We would have, if, yeah. he, if he hadn't put these policies in place and closing down oil production, and then he wants to buy the oil instead of buying it from Russia and helping to support the uh, Ukrainian invasion, he wants to buy it from our other enemy that wants to see is dead and decimated, Iran. Uh, yeah. Is, is <clears throat> anyone actually occupying the Oval Office or is it just all puppeteering? Well, I'll tell you, and I, when I heard him say, you know, he wants to see Made in America back, um, what, was, what was the fundamental argument that Donald Trump made in 2016? We have to stop giving all of our jobs, sending all of our jobs overseas. We've got to bring back to America the manufacturing capability that made this country so great. So made in America, you know, Biden is trying to take credit for something that, quite frankly, his party is responsible, uh, is not responsible for. It was Donald Trump who made that argument and then did something about it for four years, despite the opposition of uh, Biden's party. So, you know, I when I heard that, it just, I can't say it's the first time I've heard it politician make a claim that everybody knows is hypocritical and not true, but that one just really set wrong with me. Yeah, and then he does not acknowledge the 13 members of the service that lost their lives in the, at the airport in Afghanistan. Not a word. Not a word. But he, mm-hmm. he goes into his, his another speech about Bo Biden when he's yeah. talking about, you know, the burn pits that is potentially, we can't say 100% for sure, but potentially is causing all these rising cancer rates among our military men and women. But it doesn't about them, it also becomes about him again. You know, there's something wrong upstairs in that head. (laughs) But, Anne, all politicians pretty much think the world revolves around them. So Biden is not unique in that sense, but he's he is unique in his ability to recall things like that that make people cringe because you know everybody's sorry that that his son died um, and did not get to live the full life that uh, he had potential for. But Joe Biden is not the only person in this country that's had to suffer through that. And yet he, over and over again, keeps reminding us about it as if, you know, he's the only one. It's really tough. No, it, it is. And at one point he had mentioned the opioid epidemic, but completely ignored that he's responsible for it because he's got an open border on the southern border. And now they've been quietly busing these people or flying these people into various cities all across the nation. But where is he about American security? It it was completely missing from his speech. You know, that was that was the other moment in, in the speech that um um 
it still rankles me when he said, I don't remember exactly his exact wordings, but he said, uh, let's secure the border. And I'm saying to myself, you're the guy that unsecured it. <laughs> you know, we've had two million illegals come across the border since you took the oath of office, and now you're telling us you want to secure the border? It's, but see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Why most Americans don't believe what politicians say, because politicians say things like that, and we all know, yeah, that's, that's nonsense. You're the guy that screwed the border up. <laughs> He's so, the one that screwed the pooch. I, I warned you, man, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard to get you started, because, you know, I think the last true State of the Union address that I last heard, I mean, really true, may have been Ronald Reagan's first one. Um, I don't know if you agree with me. Um, But in that, it was 40 years ago, he warned against tax increases in that address. What he said was, quote, raising taxes won't balance the budget. It will encourage more government spending and less private investment. Raising taxes will slow economic growth reduce production, and destroy future jobs, making it more difficult for those without jobs to find them, and more likely that those who now have jobs could lose them. So I will not ask you to try to balance the budget on the backs of American taxpayers. Meanwhile, you heard everything that Joe Biden said was just the exact opposite of what Reagan warned. And Reagan warned wisely... Because look at what's happening to us now. Look at our economy. Look at our gas prices. Look at what he has done to us. Yeah. Well, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm a little biased in the matter of President Ronald Reagan because I spent a number of years in my life helping him get elected and then helping him in a very small way uh, as one of his uh, appointees. So... I, of course, think that Ronald Reagan and all of his State of the Union addresses were wonderful. <laughs> but you're, you're exactly right. His wisdom and his frankness and his honesty with the American people is why he was so popular. People knew they could trust him. And frankly, most of the politicians that we have up here now, there are giant reasons to question whether or not you should, you should trust them. Hugely, hugely. Now, my own senator, Lindsey Graham, put his foot in it big time, big time. Um, With his tweet, he was on Sean Hannity, and um, I forget who he was on last night. But he said, is there a Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stauffenberg in the Russian military? For those who don't know who Colonel Stauffenberg was, he was the one that attempted to assassinate uh, Hitler. And he, in right. turn, you know, faced the death penalty, uh, his whole entire family. He put a lot on the line to try to give Germany back to the German people out of the uh, fascist dictator's hands. But you've got a sitting senator calling for the assassination of another head, head of state. Um, isn't there something written down somewhere saying, yeah, don't do that? Well, I don't know if it's written down anywhere, but it's certainly not prudent, though 
I will say this. Um, he's not the first person or the only person who, since the Russians actually began their invasion of Ukraine, who has said to themselves and to others, you know, you know um, this is Russia we're talking about, and people in powerful positions in Russia don't always live very long. Um, mm. I mean, there's a whole history of that. And it frankly would not surprise me at all if something happened to Putin. It couldn't happen to a more deserved guy. Um, but if you're a United States senator, that's probably not something you should say. No, not a very wise thing. But if you look at the recent pictures of Putin sitting down with his staff and his military, that long, 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 long table, he's only at one end, and they're crowded around the opposite end. Gee, do you think he took that from the pages of what happened to Hitler in the assassination attempt? He sat too close to his staff and almost died in the bunker? Yeah. You wonder well, whether or not Putin is taking steps to preserve his life? You know, the the guy in the most powerful position in the Kremlin right now is the one who does the frisk of the aides that are going in to see Putin uh, to make sure that they're not armed. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, he could make or break Putin. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just one little slip up. Oops, accidentally on purpose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, now you know, NATO denied the no-fly zone for the Ukraine, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. You know, uh, strategically, mm-hmm. it's it's not basically doable. The amount of pa- uh, manpower and equipment it would take to do this. Uh, but now we're seeing uh, Belarus being uh, threatened the Baltic states being threatened, Poland being threatened. And I heard a commentator last night on, on Newsmax going, what's next? Is Russia going to advance to the Berlin Wall? And I'm thinking, oh, crap. And that's exactly what Putin has in mind, doesn't he? He wants to reclaim the former Soviet empire, the Soviet Union. But I, I've been saying this over and over again. Most importantly to him is access to the uh, capital city of Riga, which was their submarine base. He wants that right. back. Yeah. And, you, you know, I lost my husband recently. You obviously know that. But he was, his family was from Latvia. And if he were alive to see this today, oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. I mean, the the, the uh, problem, the basic problem here, and we are in a position where, when I say we, I mean the United States and NATO, if we do something in terms of a direct action, you know, as we all know, that requires, um, that, that leads to a world war, and none of us want that. The problem is that a year ago, beginning a year ago, <clears throat> and, and American intelligence was beginning to pick up signals a year ago that this Russian army was beginning to mass on the Ukraine border. So none of this mm-hmm. comes as a surprise to anybody. Um, we didn't accelerate <clears throat> our arms shipments to Ukraine. We didn't start sending trainers over there to make sure they really knew how to use them. And we didn't make sure that they had enough that they could 
put supplies of them all around the country um, rather than having to depend on a few uh, distribution points, which is what they've got now. We didn't do that yeah. a year ago. And as a result, the Ukrainians, you know, you know, they basically, about all we can do is keep doing what we're doing, which is saying, boy, we're all with you. Yeah, and the weak sanctions that uh, Biden is putting on Russia, meanwhile, he's, he's lining the pocket of Putin and the oligarchs by buying oil from Russia. So now he hears the outcry from Congress, no, 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 you can't buy oil from Russia. So what's he do? He goes to Iran. And I've been ranting on this one all throughout the entire show. You know, what's next? Uh, oh, wait a minute, we're getting our electric cars and batteries and stuff from, from China, so we're not going to need as much oil anymore. Yeah, because China is going to be using it to manufacture the, the vehicles and the equipment and everything else that we end up buying from them that is not made in America. I, yeah, not made in America, and and us dependent upon foreigners for things that we have to have to maintain, um, you know, our standard of living. So it's it's a it's probably the worst possible position we could be in, short of an actual invasion. Yeah, and then you have a spokesman for. Um, for Joe Biden, uh, what, what the heck was this guy's name? Oh, come on, Annie. Where the heck is this guy? Um, well, one of the spokespersons for, for oh, it was uh, Carney. Carney uh, said, the Ukrainian crisis is not the cause of inflation, high gas prices, and supply chain issues. Wait a minute. Um, Biden cuts off the oil. Our, our ability to use the Keystone Pipeline and so forth, cuts back on drilling. Um, so we have to go to Russia to get oil, and that in turn funds the Ukrainian crisis. So right. it's, <clears throat> but it's not the Ukrainian crisis causing all this problem. No. no. I tell you, <laughs> Ann, uh, having grown up in Texas and Oklahoma, which are absolutely full of oil and natural gas. If Biden gave the order today, turn the taps back on, start producing here in America as much as you can, continue the conversion from coal to natural gas, which cuts more emissions into the atmosphere than anything else that we're doing currently, um, in, in three months, we would be energy independent again. And none of this stuff about Russian oil or Iranian oil would make any difference. They would have to worry about how much we're going to produce. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was astounded to find out that in the United States, we're producing 1.5 million gallons of oil less than when Biden took office. So we've reduced our production, and he's going to open up the oil reserves, which may last just three, max four days, and then what do we do? Uh, yeah. this, this is a ship without mm. a pilot at it. There's no one steering well, the vessel. Again, that, that's, a, that's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. People don't believe politicians who say things like, 
uh, we're going to fix this problem with rising gas prices by uh, opening up the, uh, the National Petroleum Reserve and release two whole days' worth of oil. Yeah, boy, that'll do it. <laughs> that, won't, that won't make a dent in rising gas prices. But that's what, you know, that's what politicians say, and that's why people don't believe them anymore. No, and you've got states like California and New York with gas prices already over $5. Here in South Carolina, we're nearing $4. I haven't been out on the street, so I don't know what the gas station is saying today, but when I drove past 369 for us, that's really, really high. I mean, yeah. when I bought gas uh, after just before Biden was announced as the winner of the presidential seat, I paid $1.69. So now... Within yep. two years, it jumped $2 a gallon. That's a yep. tremendous yep. jump. Now, what happens with someone that's on the low end of the income scale who can't even fill up their car so they can get to that minimum wage job? It, it, this is a huge snowball, and it's rolling downhill awfully fast, and it's becoming a boulder really fast. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to get a lot worse. And I am losing my voice, in case you can't tell. Uh, it's sounding sexy to me. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, unfortunately, I'm going to have to take my leave, and I apologize, but um, this voice ain't going to last much longer. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mark. People can find you at the Epic Times, Epic Times, or epochtimes.com, and you are also the founder of Hill Faith. So God bless. Take care of yourself, and we'll speak to you in two weeks. Super. I hope my voice is better then. <laughs> I hope so, too. All right. Bye-bye. Check out Mark. Take care. Mark Tapscott, uh, the D.C. correspondent for the uh, Epic Times. Oh, man, there's so much more to talk about. You know, Twitter's at it again, Curtis. Um, they actually have been uh, suspending accounts that exchange information about what's going on over in the Ukraine. And, yeah, and you've had a security analysis, an <clears throat> intelligence researcher, and several other individuals uh, who were mining the tweets to find out exactly what's going on. Because you find when something happens, it ends up faster on Twitter or Instagram. So they, they, they data mine all these other sources to gain the information so they know exactly what's happening, where it's happening, and when it's happening. And Twitter then suspended the accounts, giving no explanation. But I guess someone, some oligarch in Russia said, Twitter, that's not a good thing. You can't have that information out there. Well, excuse me, Putin does not run Twitter. And I think uh, it's time for us to all start looking for other platforms uh, so we can start share, sharing information and data, but they're at it again. You know, one guy well, got locked out twice. I know Trump has something going on social media. I haven't really checked into it, but I'm hearing a lot about it. So sooner or later, I'll yeah, get around to called, checking it. Well, Trump opened up Truth Social. You've got to go on there, sign up, and then they will later on send you a link. I haven't gotten the link yet. So I've been waiting for that. Uh, it's possible it's in my email when I come off of here, but you have to turn around, go on the opening page. It'll ask you for your name and your email. Uh, and then 
at that point, somewhere along the way, they will get back to you. I haven't had it yet. It's been about a week, but we'll see what happens. Um, so getter that's is, a, a lot of a, is it going to be a platform like Facebook or more like Twitter, though? I'm not exactly sure. I'm hearing that it's more like Twitter. So okay. we'll see. But th- there Especially are a lot of other... he likes to tweet so much. <laughs> yeah. The president. Well, there's, there's Parler, there's Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Uh, there's a whole lot of yeah. them out there. And I usually well, try to post the shows, but... Parler. Yeah. Um, it's funny because Katie Arrington mentioned Hunter Biden and the, the attache case. Well, guess what? It's not just, not the attache case, the um, laptop. It's not the laptop that's the only problem there. The Secret Service records, his traveling records, are missing for the years 2010 to 2013. That is very, very interesting. Uh, Chuck Grassley had asked uh, the Secret Service Director James Murray for those records, but the agency didn't find any documents for the request seeking unredacted records tied to the travels for the specific year between January of 2009 and January of 2017. Gee, isn't that a strange period when a certain individual who's now president was vice president? Gee, how very, very interesting. So his his trip to Kazakhstan uh, in 2014, they couldn't find information on. Uh, He made trips to China. Uh, Russia, Italy, Spain, Mexico. Now, this is this is scary. And if he's been tied to Burisma out of the Ukraine. Uh, and remember, they had to say, if, you know, what was it, 10% for the big guy? Meaning Uncle Joe got his cut from these very locations, too? <clears throat> very, well, very Trump interesting. Said, Trump said in his CPAC speech that a lot of things are going to come out in the next three weeks that are um, criminal in nature and as such, you know, prosecutable. So we'll see. Maybe some of this will be tied up in that information that's going to come out. Well, yeah, because um, they're also looking into Hunter Biden's um, taxes and a former girlfriend <clears throat> She's a lingerie and textile designer, uh, appeared before a grand jury in Wilmington, Delaware recently, uh, just about a week ago. And she testified for five hours. And uh, they were investigating Hunter Biden's tax affairs. And, oh, geez, This, this model or lingerie designer uses an online handle called Weed Slut 420. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Do you think they, they, they toked together? Uh, but uh, she, uh, she actually had some information which may end up being possible criminal charges coming against Hunter Biden on his taxes. <clears throat> we'll see. <clears throat> we will see. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, now your oh, voice is going, huh? <laughs> yeah, now my voice is starting to go. Now I went. I was trying to find any news or information on um, the trucker convoy, and you know, 
you try hitting the search uh, parameters, and you don't find anything out there. I mean, you really, really had to dig. Yeah. And everything you do see, like from MSNBC, from MSN, from Yahoo, from the Washington Times and all the other stuff, um, they just vaguely gloss over it saying it's a failure, it's a failure. Well, not from what I saw. Not from what I saw. I mean, it's huge, and it should be hitting uh, this coming weekend. So we'll see what happens. Now, <clears throat> we've got our heritage victim of, excuse me, victim of the week, and I'm going to try to do this without mispronouncing his last name. And we have Dr. Kevin DeArotin. No, see, I knew I was going to do it. I was practicing it. I knew I was practicing it, practicing because Tom sent me the breakdown on how to say your name. And as soon as I ended up to introduce you, I knew I was going to mess it up. I apologize, Dr. Kevin. Dr. Kevin Dyerot. Thank you. <laughs> I apologize. But um, you recently uh, published a, a, a study in the um, Heritage Foundation dealing with COVID and the truth about it. And it's like about 28 pages long. But you revealed some truth that Dr. Fauci doesn't want us to really know about, haven't you? Yeah, well, there's a variety of things, interesting aspects about um, COVID that are going on, the data. And I think the data overall suggests that this, for all intents and purposes, um, should be over. And there are a lot of myths that are being uh, put out there by the CDC uh, and the federal government. And, um, yeah, I I think it's important to clear up this misinformation. Yeah, now, excuse me, I was just saying that how Twitter has been pulling people down uh, if they give something out. And somewhere along the way, there's legislation out there threatening to take action against anyone who puts out, quote, misinformation. So the very fact that you and I are challenging what Dr. Fauci claims to be the science, as if he was Mr. Science, um, that very fact that we're discussing it could label us, you know, and have us canceled. You know, my show could be taken down. My social feeds can be taken down because I am willing and you are willing to prove that you're a statistician. So you go by the facts. You go by the raw data. And, you, and you're able to prove all of these myths are false. I. For example, natural immunity works. Yeah. The natural immunity works. Um, there's there's one big myth, actually, um, and this has sadly been propagated by President Biden, that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Um, we, we looked at that in, in, in our study, and we found out that, quite frankly, that's just completely untrue. Um, the CDC, so the thing is, the CDC provides pretty poor data to, to begin with, so we had to go to other sources, but... We found from a variety of other sources that this is definitely not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. There are a substantial number of unvaccinated people taking up hospital beds, or there have been. Fortunately, you know, COVID cases and hospitalizations have been on the decline in the last couple of weeks. But we saw that in our study, and we, we wanted to point that out. Yeah, because we've had the spikes, uh, the Delta variant, the Omicron variant. But each time they come through, these spikes, they're of a weaker variant. So we're seeing less deaths. You may see an you know, increase in hospitalizations during the spike, but you know, not as many people are dying. But you also proved that statistics 
that the CDC was putting out was kind of like fudged a little bit. Uh, if you got admitted to the hospital for a broken ankle, but you tested positive for COVID, you're a COVID patient. You're not there for the broken That's ankle true. to be sick. Absolutely. That, that is so another the, thing. So this, uh, CDC data was vastly incomplete in this regard, and it was very disappointing to see that. But again, uh, my colleague Doug Badger, who I co-authored this paper with, and I looked at um, data from a variety of sources, and you could see from the, in our data from the, in our analysis, I'm sorry, in the state of New York and the state of Massachusetts, you could see that you know a substantial number, as much as 40% of what are called COVID hospitalizations, were not even were admissions where the person was COVID positive, but that wasn't even the reason for admission. No. And- now, I've been saying that all along. Now, the hospital's got a certain amount of money, depending upon whether or not the person was admitted for COVID or if the person passed away, which then begs to differ that we know certain therapies work better than what the, um, was the Regeneron that the hospital is forcing on patients. So we now have uh, a health issue here where we're not allowed to try these other therapies, which have proven to be worked. So they're fudging everything deliberately to keep the numbers seem, seemingly high and create fear, I think. Well, yeah, I can't speak on behalf of the CDC or what's going on there, but what we have looked at in our study is that we noticed that, you know, this, like I said, this is not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. However, we do find that vaccinations still do provide substantial protection against, you know, severe infection and hospitalization. Um, when you when you look at the data, I don't want to go into the statistics in, in, in this, you know, in this radio show, but if you look at our analysis, you can see that the vaccinations still do provide, although there are a non-trivial number of people who are vaccinated that are hospitalized, but nevertheless, there you know, natural immunity provides a substantial amount of protection, and um, antivirals, new antivirals like Paxlovid that are out there provide substantial protection. And so we are really at a point. This isn't March 2020. It's March 2022. We should start acting like it. And it's time to move on from the pandemic. We have all these things that can um, help us manage this virus, and let's just learn to live with it like we live with many other things like cancer, cancer. like HIV, influenza, and many other things that, you know, circulate through our society. Well, you, you, in your report, you say that it's not realistic to see uh, a zero COVID. I mean, uh, as you said, it's going to be something that – now, you had mentioned in your thing that it was the last time we had a, uh, a major virus eradicated, which was smallpox. 40 years ago. Unfortunately, we're starting to see a surge of it because of the illegal immigrants coming across the border. Thank you very much, Joe Biden. But it was almost 200 years ago during the Revolutionary War, and I remember this from my high school history classes, which date way back, that it was George Washington that inoculated his troops by taking the smallpox vaccine and putting it back into the soldier to create a natural immunity. So in a lot of ways, you could basically say George Washington may be the father of vaccinations. Well, I don't know about that. But, yes, smallpox did take 200 years to eradicate. So we we can definitely get COVID down to manageable levels, and it's time for Dr. Fauci and President Biden to admit that. But we got to move on. We're not going to get down to zero levels. We need to learn to live with the virus. And that means living without masks and these restrictions. And, you know, when we heard President Biden speak in a State of the Union yesterday, 
he was trying to have a cake and eat it too, where he was saying, okay, COVID is better, um, and we're starting to be able to manage it, but we're, we'll have society ready to put masks back up when necessary. No, the bottom line is we can manage it now, and we have plenty of tools to be able to manage it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But also it's taking on a political tone. So, you know, exactly. they're basically using it to bludgeon those of us in red states because uh, we have a tendency to avoid the vaccinations. But yet yeah. we have fewer instances of spikes and hospitalizations and deaths because we remain open. That, that I find is highly ir- ironic because they're, they're pushing vaccines and masks. Those of us that walk around freely are not getting sick. And we're the other no, exactly. we're, we're the problem. The, so the, and the you know the vaccines the, the administration tried to push vaccines on people through the vaccine mandate that did not work out too well for them. Um, so the, and we we talked about this in the paper. We believe that the vaccines, based on our analysis, do provide substantial protection. But there is still a substantial number of Americans, over 17 percent, based on some um, analysis that we presented in the Cato Institute, um, that. Uh, 17% of Americans do not want to take the vaccine and they will never take the vaccine. So there's a substantial block of Americans that would not get the vaccine. But if they've already had COVID, their natural immunity is sufficient protection. And if they haven't had COVID, they're not going to get the vaccine. It, it makes no sense for President Biden to continue to shame these people. We have antivirals like Paxlovid, and we can treat those people as well. So this, for all intents and purposes, as much as lawmakers want to continue, is and should be over. Yes, and that's a huge. That's a huge amen. And it's like I was telling the audience earlier, I was out grocery shopping, and a gentleman stopped me in the middle of the vegetable aisle. I'm going. I thought maybe he thought I worked at the store, but obviously the way I was dressed told me we weren't. He was asking about you know what's the policy here in South Carolina for vaccines and and masks, and I said we're an open state, and he's looking around the yeah. store. He goes, I was wondering why I only saw a handful of masks. People are ready to get back to their normal lives. He was completely relieved to know that we were an open state. And he's staying here for a month. And I says, well, I hope after the month staying here, you end up becoming a resident here. But people really want to get their lives back. But yet, I don't know if you saw in the news yesterday, in New York City, a group of women out there pushing for mask mandates to come back. I mean, where does this fear end? It's quite frankly ridiculous, and we need to move on from this. Again, all the data that we presented indicates that this is perfectly manageable. If you get the vaccine, you are well protected, according to our analysis. If you don't want to get the vaccine, that's fine, too. If you have natural immunity from prior infection, you are well protected. If you don't have natural immunity from prior infection, you can still take these antivirals like Paxlovid, and it reduces the, the risk of hospitalization by nearly 90%. So this for all intents and purposes, is over. The whole reason for any of these policies, any of these government protection measures, was the rationale at the time was to prevent the hospital system from getting overrun. That is not going to happen now, so this is over even by those standards. Yeah. Now, you're, unfortunately, when I printed it out, the charts did not print out, but you have all these charts with lovely bells and whistles on them that break down the different aspects of this pandemic. And one of them I found interesting was the breakdown by age groups. Now, how was it breaking down on the age groups? Ah, 
Okay, you, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question. So yeah, I assume you're thinking about the charts in the appendix where I broke it down by age, like mortality? Yeah, I think it was chart or, number nine. Nine, okay, no, that's earlier. Okay, but that's fine, I'm happy to share with you. See, I have the picture. No, unfortunately, it didn't print, the charts didn't print out, so okay. I, I got have the, cheated. No, I have the paper. <laughs> uh, chart nine, yes. So here, yes. So the, the thing about COVID is that, um, and this I've talked about in prior research as well, that COVID cases have been spread out, you know, amongst various age groups. Uh, you know, pretty much all ages have had infections, but... The, the most, you know, the, the brunt of the infections has been among people between 18 and 50. However, the brunt of the deaths has really been among the ages of those above 65. Those have really constituted um, most of the deaths. Now, having said that, though, if you look at the probability of surviving an infection, even if you are over the age of 85, you have nearly an 80% chance of surviving an infection. And above the age of 95, or excuse me, above the age of 65, it is well above 95%. Um, overall, the, the probability of surviving COVID is over 98%. So pretty much, you know, nobody really has anything to worry about with this virus unless you are older or immunocompromised. Absolutely. So at this point, I've got my 89-year-old mom. She'll be 90 this year. Uh, that I have to keep an eye on and make sure that, you know, she's okay. Uh, whereas in two years, I'll fall into that zone. But uh, in other words, you know, there are ways to protect a segment of our society and a way to open up yep. the rest of it. So we yep. have New York City that says, well, kids under the age of four should, should still be masked. But they're the lowest risk pool. Now, what are some yeah. of the harms that these policies have been causing that you have that you you talk about well i mean the, the whole thing is these policies such as you know um you know mass mandates and all these non-pharmaceutical interventions they were like like lockdowns for example they were always of questionable value in terms of how much they actually um stop the spread of disease my colleague norbert michelle and i published a paper um last year on mass mandates in kansas and we found that the mask mandates in Kansas did not meaningfully um, quell the, the rise in cases in Kansas, and it didn't have a significant impact on, on case proliferation or mortality over there. And that actually, we also pointed out that a CDC study on this, this very issue was critically flawed, and they provided fraudulent, not fraudulent, but incorrect results on, on, on the state of Kansas. Um, but, yeah, there are plenty of negative effects. Um, people skipping, for example, uh, people being reluctant to go out, um, the, the, the mental health effects of not going out, not resuming your normal lives, people skipping doctor's appointments, the effects of masking kids on development, them not being able to see fa like, you know, people's faces in schools and in daycare. These are all serious things that we're only really going to see the long-term effects of them in the coming years. And I, I, I really, quite frankly, afraid of what we're going to find out. Well, that's, that's the scary part because we have a whole segment of our youth that we've actually lost to the pandemic because of not being able to attend school, uh, again, with the mask mandates, a disassociation because the kids can't understand facial expressions and emotions because everyone's hidden behind the mask. And developmental yeah. delays in these children. And we already know that many of them are at least a year or two behind in their schoolwork, probably even more. 
you know, inability to yeah. read and write. Uh, a, a lot of motor skills that may be lost because they're not out there exercising and playing the games and stuff they would normally do as kids. You know, there's a whole, whole set of problems coming down the road, and some of us are not going to be around to help you deal with these things, I'm going to tell you that here and now. But, you know, this is what a over-tyrannical government can do. Well, I'm hoping that, you know, the government just realizes pretty quickly, I was a point in this paper, that this is over and should be treated as such. We should put COVID in the history books and move on. From your lips to God's ears. But we are now starting to see some of these uh, blue states starting to open up, and I think they're taking their cue from what we in the red states are doing, so hopefully that will happen. I mean, over at um, at uh, uh, Heritage, you're the principal statistician, data science, and research fellow, and you deal with all different types of models, whether it's income tax, corporate tax, Social Security. Uh, but I was interested to find that you also do stuff with climate. And, um, yeah, Gregory Wrightstone is a friend of mine. He wrote the book, oh, Inhibiting Facts. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Um, the first person to ever interview him on his book was me. <laughs> so I always tease him that I'm his first. Uh, but I want to know what have you been coming up? What sort of number crunching have you found about this climate change alert? Or, or? Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, we have a number of models at the Heritage Foundation Center for Data Analysis for analyzing climate change and energy policy. Um, most recently, we looked at the Green New Deal, suggested by uh, Ms. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her colleagues. Um, the, the rationale behind policies like that is that the Green New Deal is intended to save the planet from catastrophic climate change. So what, what, what I did was I took my colleague, former colleague, Nick Norris, we took the proposals suggested by Ms. Cortez and we plugged them in to the Heritage Foundation's energy model, which is a derivative of the Department of Energy's National Energy Modeling System, to see what would happen to the economy if you implemented um, CO2 reductions, regulations associated with, with achieving these types of CO2 reductions. And not surprisingly, you find devastating economic costs. I, mean, I believe um, over $15 trillion in lost GDP over a 20-year time horizon, um, over $165,000 of income loss per family of four, um, millions of jobs lost all across the board. And what's, you know, what you'll hear from people like Ms. Cortez is that even some economic loss is necessary to save the planet, but what we found is using our climate simulator model, which is, again, another model used by the federal government, that this policy would result in less than 0.2 degrees Celsius temperature mitigation by the end of the century. The policy would come with tremendous economic costs and virtually no environmental benefit whatsoever. And we've shown this time and time again. This is also the case with the Paris Agreement, the number of other policies before that. These carbon-based regulations, all they will do is kill jobs, kill the economy, and have no meaningful impact on the climate. Excuse me. Not only that, with Gregory marrying his charts to yours, showing that we're starting to climb out of a mini ice age. So actually the world has always been warmer than it is today. Yeah, so it's been – that that is actually a great question. I actually should talk to him about this because I've been meaning to get involved in more of these historical um, projections regarding climate going back hundreds of years ago. 
there's a very rich area of, of science, of climate science called paleoclimatological reconstructions, understanding what temperatures were, say, hundreds of years ago before we had thermometers taking records. Um, but, yeah, no, Greg says that that is, that is very likely the case. Um, I'd have to look at the research. But it is interesting because there is, I have seen research out there. Um, there was a paper in the Journal of the American Physical Association several years ago that shows that in the 1700s, for example, temperatures might have very well have been just as warm as they are today. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm starting to lose my voice. Oh, geez. Uh, but people have this huge fear. You know, it was um, the ozone layer at one point. Oh, the ozone layer is breaking up. But yet we saw that it's now reforming health, health healthily. Uh, and exactly. now you have these like uh, we're, we're damaging the climate. You know we've got to get rid of you know, fossil fuels. And I, I'm shaking my head. It's like, well, how do you stop drilling for oil and still enjoy the creature comforts that you enjoy today? Like women, where are you going to get your makeup unless you have something that's oil based and manufactured using oil products? Uh, how are you going to drive that car? Because all those manufacturing products use some form of oil, whether or not it's the petrochemical to create the wiring or the seat covers or whatever else, little gizmo in the car, or just to manufacture it, to bring the stuff into market. I said, we are so highly dependent upon the fossil fuels. Then when you hear them say, well, we're going to have electric cars by 2035, everyone will be driving them. Doesn't that scare you? Well, I mean, and yeah, this is something we left out of the conversation, actually, or, I mean, earlier, that energy is effectively the single fundamental building block of society, um, from, you know, turning on your light switch to driving your car to basically letting, having, enabling your listeners to actually listen to this, this, this broadcast. Energy is literally the basis of everything that we do, and I think many people, including Ms. Cortez, take energy for granted, and they don't realize with policies like the Green New Deal or these carbon-based regulation policies, you are inevitably going to be making this fundamental building block of society more expensive, and that is the consequence that gets paid. And people in all aspects of society are going to see and feel this um, if those policies become a reality. Fortunately, though, um, many lawmakers have... Uh, realize the dangers of these policies, and hopefully they'll continue to do so. I hope so, too, because I always love to challenge people. I say, name me one thing in your daily life or any day that does not involve the use of petrochemicals in one form or another. Outside of stepping out your front door or just standing in the middle of the road and breathing the air, that's the only thing that you interact with during the day that does not involve a petrochemical in one form or another. And when people stop and think about it and says, well, are you going to take that uh, smart device away from your child or the video games they're playing in front of the TV? What are you going to do without a TV? Well, I eat organic, so I, I grow my own stuff. And Yeah, now, how did you get the seeds? They had to come to market somewhere. A farmer had to create them, which meant he had to use a tractor requiring chemicals uh the seeds coming from whatever place that produced them needs chemicals in order to produce the seeds that the farmer then grows and then brings to market for you and when you do grow your own 
What are you using to put the seed in the ground? Not your bare hands. You're using tools that require petrochemicals to manufacture. And also people go, really? Yeah. So am I looking at this the wrong way? No, you're looking at it the right way. I mean, and, you know, there is no – at the Heritage Foundation, we don't have any preference on one form of energy or another. I mean, I think many Democrat lawmakers tend to like to accuse me of, you know, being having an interest in oil and gas. That is definitely not the case. What what is the case is that we would like all forms of energy to compete on an equal level playing field, and see which one is best and most and most efficient and, and least expensive. And so far, the fossil fuels have been um, have been the ones to meet that criteria. Yes. They have. Oh, people can find your great writings over at the uh, Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. They can read this report. It is lengthy, but it's worth reading because the information you have in there is, is very, very handy in fighting the fallacies that we're being fed about COVID and how, as you said, let's get back to normal. Let's let's get our lives yeah. back and just cut this Move out. Move on, yeah. Absolutely. So I want... I want to thank you, and I apologize for messing up your name because I did practice oh, no it and worries. practice it and practice it and still messed it up. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. All right, check out Dr. Kevin over at Heritage.org. All right, well, we only got about a few minutes left here, uh, Curtis, and uh, we have next week two friends of yours coming in on the show, uh, Karen Schoen and Twen Lee. Uh, you want to tell us about who they are and what they're doing and why we're talking to him? <laughs> well, Karen is a outspoken uh, conservative and writer, and she's um, she goes around speaking on behalf of uh, our conservative values. And I will say that Tuang, he's from Vietnam originally. Um, and he wants to run because he he understands, you know, coming from countries, people like him coming from countries that were steeped in communism and dictatorships and, and things like that, they appreciate um, what we have here in the United States. So, you know, like a lot of my friends from Cuba, they understand more about freedom than Americans born here. <laughs> So he's, like I said, he's a firebrand and an up-and-coming conservative um, uh, potential uh, powerhouse. So we'll, we'll listen in and tune in next week. Yeah, what seat is he running for? Um, it's in uh, Central Florida, but um, I know he is running for United States Congress. Oh, good. Good. Let's hope that we get three more people elected to Congress that are solid conservatives. Well, that's oh, yeah. just about all we got for today, folks. We will be back here uh, next week with these two guests, Karen Schoen and Tuan Lee. Uh, we are booking guests all the way up as far as April 15th at this point. Kathy Barnett would have been on today, but she had a scheduling conflict. She's flying somewhere, so she had a board of planes. She will be here April 15th, which is tax day. I said, perfect day to get you on <laughs> the day we have to pay our taxes. <laughs> but that's all we got for now. I want to thank everyone for joining us, and we will be back here next week. Same bat time, same bat station. 
I leave you with my friend, Gary Pecorella, Save America. So until then, good night and God bless. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know 
all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.